Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Dr. Jones is with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Ryan Fowler of uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, radio host, he'll join us as we'll get his insights on the Crimson Tide, his thoughts on OU and Texas and their move to the SEC and the future outlook for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide program. Uh, also, the SEC and their scheduling. We'll go over all of that. Ryan joins us coming up later on. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Our Tom Fullery story of the week. So look around the Big 12 with uh, some reaction to Big 12 media days. And our draft season segment this week. We will take on cancel culture as we will draft the best people to ever be canceled. This should be a very interesting draft. We'll go over that coming up later on. Thomas Bridges is back here with me. And Tom, uh, we are... This is our final show before a little summer vacation. I'm off to Phoenix next week. Uh, you're enjoying yourself uh, next week with some stuff, but uh, I, I'll, I'll be honest here. Like I, I'm sitting here and I I, I need this uh, this summer vacation. No no offense to the audience out there or everything, but uh, I, I'm looking forward to the week off to get away as uh, I'll be headed to uh, Phoenix as the uh, summer of Jones continues next week, Tom. That'll be pretty exciting. I mean, I know it's got to be hot there, though, this time of year. It's going to be a scorcher, I imagine. I I don't think, Tom, I I don't know about you, like, if it's not humid, I don't care. It can be 120 degrees. If there's no humidity, that's fine with me. Like, that's that's one thing I I just – I don't do well with humidity. That that got the best of me in in Chicago a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I guess that's probably true then, too, because Phoenix is dry. But, I mean, heck, in Tulsa today, heat index with the, with the humidity 110, and it was just brutal. Oh, that but is fun. I, I don't, you know, going to the desert, though, you can't, sure, it's going to be hot, but, you, you know, get out of that Texas humidity heat. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it should be a good time next week. Uh, so no show but uh, it does also mean, uh, I was thinking about this, Tom, uh, this upcoming week also marks, I kid you not, 12 years now since this show officially began. So another milestone, 12 years and counting. Who would have thought? Look at us. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, crazy. It has been something. Uh, I, I I, I can't believe uh, I've dealt with Tom this long or Tom's dealt with me this long, one way or the other. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> we've uh, we've endured a lot, and here we are still standing 12 years later. But nonetheless, uh, we got plenty to discuss, uh, even as we enter the summer months and everything, and, and we'll dive into it here in just a second. But I, I just want to take a moment. Uh, th- this guy was never on our show here, but – Somebody that meant a lot to me. I, I just want to give a a, a special shout out of some sorts. Uh, we uh, we lost a, a very good friend, a uh, a mentor, somebody I worked with for a long time. Uh, my buddy Hank Booth uh, in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, this past week. And for our Lawrence audience out there, I, I just want to make sure that they got the chance to hear what I had to say about Hank and and take a moment here to. And and for those that didn't know Hank, kind of just share his story a little bit. Uh, 
when I started KLWN, uh, which was two jobs ago now, uh, which still sounds weird to say. I feel like I'm still there sometimes. Uh, when I started KLWN, that was my freshman year of college. And what was that? 2014, uh, fall of 2014. And I was, you know, board hopping, producing high school football games and different stuff and working with Hank and, and, uh, you know, he and I had a great working relationship and became a really good friend and got to know him real well. Eventually we went on to do a show together. Uh, I co-hosted and produced his daily talk show and, you know, uh, I also hosted the morning show there at KLWN for two and a half years and was the lead in for Hank's show. And so we worked together pretty much every day for several years on hand and had a lot of fun, a lot of good time. Uh, he still owes me a pie. Uh, I guess I'm not getting that pie anymore at this huh. point. Um, but nonetheless, like Hank was, was somebody that, like I said, he may have never came on this show, but somebody I, I admired and I felt like needed more people would be inspired to hear this type of story. A guy like Hank lived to the very end, you know, at 77 worked. I think his final day on air was, was a Friday. And then he passed away the following Thursday. I mean, pretty incredible. Right. And, and here's a guy that spent over 50 years on air and at the same station, his dad started the station he started working there when he was in in middle school or high school himself. Went off to the army, came back, worked at the high, worked at the station, and went on to have a Hall of Fame career. And 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 the number one thing I'll say this: Hank and I did we butt heads from time to time? Absolutely. I think that's going to happen when you pair a seventy year old with a college kid that thinks he knows everything. But at the end of the day, Hank was a great friend, and and, and you know. I loved him to death. You know, he, he felt like a, I, I think I called him my, my radio grandpa at one point, you know, just that type of relationship. And the number one thing that I learned from Hank was just the emphasis on community and being a voice for that community and being a spokesman. Things were bigger for us than just KU. It was, it was Lawrence. It was Douglas County. It was Northeast Kansas and just representing those and, and, and being somebody that makes people feel important. Um, you know, he would interview anyone off the street and make them seem like they were the most important person that day. And, and so those things, like I look at Hank, even people that never got to know him, Tom, uh, I think can turn to for inspiration of just, you know, working hard, being loyal, making people feel important, emphasis on community. I mean, those things, um, people like Hank Booth don't come, come around every single day and, I was fortunate not to call him just a colleague, but a friend of mine as well, and and learned a lot from him. He'll be uh, he'll be greatly missed. So, just want to take that moment. But but Tom, uh, I know you didn't get no Hank, but uh, just from what you heard, I mean, just uh, pretty uh, pretty remarkable story and career there. Yeah, you know they don't make them like that anymore. Um, that's pretty, you know, not only to. Uh, you know, be on air up until like a week before he passed, but just one spot. I mean, I guess when your dad starts the station, you kind of feel a little bit of uh, like it's your second home, but to be there that long and uh, to be in that community is, is definitely something. Yeah. 
it, it was. And, and uh, I'll miss him. And he's revered in that community and certainly sending my best to, to Sue and the Booth family and, you know, the KLWN family, you know, uh, it, it's, he, he'll be missed, but I, I know he's in a better place and, and uh, wish nothing but the best for him and his family. But just want to take a moment to, to share my side and, and uh, let the folks in Lawrence know we're thinking of him. And, and uh, you know, he, he's one of those guys that made this earth, made made Lawrence a better place because he was around. So, Hank, we'll miss you, thinking of you, and uh, certainly uh, in our thoughts, uh, his family at this time. But nonetheless, uh, we move on, as uh, Hank would want us to do, the business of the day at hand. We'll start with the uh, the NBA side of things. Tom, when we last left the folks, it was literally right before the Damian Lillard trade request had come in. Now it's come in. He wants out of Portland. The idea is, among most folks, that he is going to find his way to the Miami Heat. That appears to be where momentum is headed towards, uh, that he'll end up there and join that team that was one win away from getting to the NBA Finals uh, this past season. With that said, with, with Damian Lillard, you know, I know, Tom, that we talk about guys and it it seems unpopular to be wanting to move teams and, and you know, it's, it's not well respected typically when you have players trying to make their their demands, their requests uh, known and, and, and try to force what they want, you know, instead of just leaving a free agency, you know, it's been kind of frowned upon, right? But in the case of Damian Lillard, I know he signed the contract extension a couple of years ago and all that, but I really can't blame Damian Lillard for requesting a trade. Can't blame him for going wanting to go to Miami either. Um, it's not a, a situation like KD and the Warriors. I mean, the Heat haven't been able to win a championship. Obviously, they still need another piece or two to get there to win it all. Damian could be the difference. Uh, so it's not comparable to KD in that sense. But also, think about this. Damian Lillard has been there for how long now? And how many mistakes has that organization made with the decisions they've made and the lack of talent they put around him? And just incompetent decision after decision. They've gone through the GMs. They've gone through the head coaches. Finally, enough was enough. And, you know, they drafted his replacement in Scoot Henderson uh, a couple weeks ago. You and I, we sat here on this program and we said, hey, a good head coach could make it work where you could have both guys play together. But in Damien's case, he didn't see it that way. That was kind of the final straw, the straw that broke the camel's back of some sorts, where he felt like it was time to move on. And although I sit here, Tom, I think two things can be true. I think those two could find a way to play together. Sure, you can make that work. But I get where Damien's coming from, too. I, I have no problem with him putting out this trade request and wanting to move on. Uh, I think that it uh it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, don't, I don't blame him one bit at all for for putting in this trade request uh, to move on from the Portland Trailblazers here. You know, and I think in the in the case of Damian Lillard, I think we kind of all knew this was eventual. You know, I think I think Damian Lillard himself, I think he wanted to be like a Tim Duncan or a, a Dirk Nowinski, and you know, maybe at least get one championship and. You know, that's hard to do nowadays. And if you're not on a major team or whatever team's hot at the moment, then, you know, that loyalty is not going to end up getting you anywhere if you're 
you know, if your dream or your goal is to win a championship. And, you know, unfortunately for Portland and for Damian Lillard, heard someone say this on ESPN the other day, that unfortunately, um, and I share the same sentiment on this as well, but unfortunately he is existing in terms of, um, you know, just an all-around great player and a great shooter. He unfortunately exists in the same time period in the NBA when we see the best shooter that's ever you know, live to play and Steph Curry and, you know, down the coastline from Golden State or up up the coastline, I guess, in this case. So, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, in his, you know, main years, I wouldn't say he's out of his prime yet. I guess some people might say that, but he's still a little past his prime, I'd say. Maybe not. Back end of his prime, sure. You're right, right. Um, but, you know, he just had to face those Warrior teams. And, you know, even earlier on, you know, you face the Spurs teams. You lose LaMarcus Aldridge um, to the Spurs. I mean, this whole career he's had to face tough Western Conference teams. I mean, you go from the Spurs to the Warriors. And well, you know what? Now you've got um, Denver in the way. And so, unfortunately for the Blazers, they've never – been the team they've always been the redheaded stepchild of the western conference always had a lot of potential and we always thought oh is this the year the blazers are going to do it i don't think terry stotts is a bad coach i'm not hell-bent on chauncey billups yet there in portland just yet but um you know the time has come and he's got to go do whatever he needs to do he's i mean portland can be mad and if i was a blazers fan i would be a little pissed off about the way it's been handled currently on him kind of now forcing the issue to go to Miami. But yeah. at the same time, he doesn't owe Portland anything. He's given them 12 years. Right. If I was a Blazer fan, Tom, I'd be more mad at management than I would be Damian Lillard. I would I look at it this way. Damian Lillard's given them plenty of time to figure this out. And they have not been able to put talent around him, not been able to make that work at all um, there in Portland. That's that's bad management. They've made terrible decisions within that organization. Damian Lord gave them plenty of time. They couldn't figure it out. Is he on the back end of his prime? Sure. Uh, but I, I still think he has plenty left to offer uh, as far as I'm concerned. And the idea of him going to the Miami Heat, Tom, let's look at that, for example, here. Um, you look at the Miami Heat, this is a team that, they got a lot of pieces, right? And they got a lot of good players, but not a whole lot of great players beyond Jimmy Butler here. What what what's going to be difficult to pull this trade off? In, in and I think you're seeing it because if, if it would have been easy, a deal would have been done by now. the The problem that I think is going to be difficult in pulling this trade off is how do you bring in Damian Lillard without giving up too much? Uh, where you don't hurt yourself, where you're not competitive. It's a fine balance of some sorts. Like, yeah, they want Damian Lillard, but they can't hurt the rest of the roster either where they fall off and Damian Lillard's got the same problem he had in Portland again here. You can't give up too much. I, I think the only way they're going to be able to get this done, they got to get like a third team involved of some sorts if they're going to be able to do this. Yeah, that's the only way that I think it can happen. And, um, you know, I think obviously it will probably end up happening one way or another whether that be to uh portland's detriment or to miami's um you know i can see this though 
Jones, and I want your take on this. Let's just say the deal's done. You got a, a Jimmy and, and Dame Heat team. I could see this team obviously being competitive, but I could also see this team kind of ending up like the L.A. Clippers. Yeah, I could see that. Um, that's, that's what this feels like to me, preliminary stages of this. I, it feels very Clippers-y. Well, and here's the other thing, too, that I think you have to take into account. I think you and I are both Damian Lillard fans. I love his game. Oh, yeah. He's done in his career. But I have not seen him play with another superstar. The closest was what? An older LaMarcus Aldridge and a C.J. McCollum, who was good but wasn't a star. Yeah, um, the next best guy after that, Nurkic, in the prime Nurkic days, maybe. Like, I don't know how Damian Lillard, how effective he is, what type of Damian Lillard we get when he's not necessarily the number one option. I, I think he would, he might be the better player, but at the end of the day, coming to Miami, that's still Jimmy Butler's team. Right. And the bright lights, um, you know, what I think what would benefit him um, even more and I, I think this could work out um, kind of on the flip side of the coin of me saying the very Clippersy. The flip side of the coin is, and this is a Spurs fan saying this, you arguably have the best coach in the league um, currently. So, you know, him under Spolstra, obviously they Spolstra can manage big names and big attitudes, uh, big egos. So, And I don't think Damian Lillard really has a big ego. I don't think he's a drama-filled superstar. Um, you know what? I, I, you know, other than any of the current Spurs uh, and Patty Mills is now on the Hawks. Daniel Lillard's one of my favorite players. Um, he's he's got that clutch gene in him, and um, you know, I think I think he can coexist with Jimmy Butler down there, and I'm sure Jimmy Butler wants him down there. Um, but you know, it's we see this experiment happen all the time, and and it rarely rarely works. Um, I don't know if Damian Lillard, if, depending on what they give up, is the the needle moves the needle towards a championship. Uh, I'm not, you know, doubting Miami Heat can go back, but you know you're going to face uh, a Celtics team that's got better. You're going to face a, a kind of a bad taste in their mouth, I assume, coming this season for the Milwaukee Bucks. They're going to want to get back to prominence after getting embarrassed. Um, it's no easy, necessarily easy road in the East, you know, either, but uh, be be very interesting if this goes down, how that Jimmy and Dame experiment works. Uh, I, I can't see them. I can't see them just busting out and going to the championship the, you know, the first year out of the gate if this goes down. Right. And, and I heard Oklahoma City mentioned as a backup option, potentially, if Miami can't get it done. Don't get me wrong. I like Damian, but he doesn't really fit the Thunder's timeline necessarily uh, with what they're trying to do uh, on that front. Meanwhile, a couple other headlines. Um, Chris Paul says uh, he told the Warriors he'll embrace their playing style to win, but we've also heard that he's not looking to be a role player, either, that he expects to be a starter. Um Steve Kerr's smart enough guy. Chris Paul is desperate to win a championship. He's older now. Tom, there there might be some some egos hurt, but 
this isn't the first time Steve Kerr's done this before. Like he he walked into uh the Golden State and benched Andre Iguodala and told him he was going to be a role player and, and things worked out just fine. It was sixth man of the year and helped him win a title. I, I if anyone can get this Chris Paul situation figured out and how to utilize him, uh, it's Steve Kerr. Like I, I'm not concerned about you know Chris Paul's ego and all that being fractured a little bit. I mean, based on his track record, he'll get injured at some point anyway, and then he'll come off the bench at that point and they'll just leave him there. Like Steve Kerr will have it figured out. Yeah, I think so. I'll be interesting to see, you know, the Chris Paul ego versus Draymond Green. Um, you know, I don't think Draymond Green could get away with punching Chris Paul. Um, but at the same time, be interesting to see how Steve Curry uses Chris Paul. I mean, you're going to, you know, let Chris Paul run the point and then have Curry play off ball, which, you know, they kind of run that sometimes anyway. Um, I mean, if you watch, if you watch NBA at all, you'll know that and watching Steph Curry run around the court. Now you add in a, a a modern legendary point guard and Chris Paul with that IQ could be dangerous. Or like you said, Chris Paul going to get injured at some point. Uh, you could just write that down in your 2023, 2024 NBA bingo card. Get your daubers ready. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Porzingis gets a two year, $60 million extension with the Celtics. Tom, Porzingis has been sneaky good, but nobody's been paying attention because the Wizards were just terrible the last couple of seasons. Um, I like this Celtics roster. Uh, I like what they bring to the table and everything here. But the how it all comes together, I, I don't think is going to be overnight. I, I think there's going to be some adapting, uh, especially like we typically don't see an offense that would uh, involve – two bigs like Horford and and uh Porzingis in 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 today's modern NBA anymore like this is they're gonna have to get creative some sorts here yeah I think they will too and you know for Boston you know great great pieces on that team you make a you know and I I I wouldn't say the word is appreciate I am acknowledging that they thought you know what, we've done this for a couple of years. We've ran it back kind of with the same players, the same feel of the team. We got to change something up. They go ahead and trade Mark Smart away to the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, him leaving, Marcus Smart leaving, and I've read this on Reddit just from Boston fans on what they thought about it. They were obviously disheartened because he was kind of like the, I don't know, the image, the player mascot of the team in terms of chemistry and, and feel and the identity of that team. So now you trade him away, you bring in Chris Stops, um, you know, kind of has to change the, uh, I mean, that immediately changes the identity of that, of that Boston team. So be very interested to see how that kind of works out for them. They, like I said, I'm acknowledging, I think that was the right move. They had to figure something out. You know, they run it back for four, three, four years, kind of with the same identity. Shit's not working. You got to figure it out. Um, you know, if it wasn't Marcus Smart and bringing in Kristaps Porzingis, I think maybe the next move would have said, you know what, let's peace out Jalen Brown and see what else we can get. Obviously, they didn't just go that route. So, uh, be interesting to see. There's a lot of good storylines in the NBA coming up this season. And Obviously, as a Spurs fan, I'm excited to watch Wimbenyama, but there's so much else going on in the new storylines that really make the NBA like uh, 
a guy's version of uh, the Bachelor and Bachelorette. Right. Oh, that's a great analogy. Uh, one more big rumor. Uh, Pascal Siakam of the uh, Raptors on the trade block. Uh, top teams interested include the Hawks, Pacers, Knicks, Clippers. Uh, the common theme I see with all those teams, Tom, is all of them feel like they're one superstar away. Atlanta trying to find a running mate for Trey Young. You know, the the Pacers uh, with their situation, you know, they're trying to get all the help they can get. The Knicks, Jalen Brunson had a really good year this year, and they got some talent there, you know, Quentin Grimes, R.J. Barrett and company. And then obviously the, the Clippers with what they have with uh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, and Paul George and all that there. Um, Siakam, if if I'm looking at where he could go, like I, I'm very intrigued, Tom, of Atlanta specifically because we saw there that Clint Capella and Trey Young ended up being a nice combination. Uh, Siakam would be a significant upgrade from what Trey had with Capella there. That could put the Hawks back in the conversation. To me, that that's the most intriguing team of, of that bunch. What 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 team intrigues you and where you think he ends up potentially? The Hawks would be definitely intriguing, and, you know, they kind of hedged their bets on that by and they dealt off John Collins, who wasn't really doing anything for them. I think on the flip side of things, for me, the most interesting team right now, and we haven't really talked about this, I think in the past couple of weeks, um, most interesting team for me would be the 76ers. You got Nick Nurse there, former Raptors coach. Yep. You got James Harden as trade material potentially. Um, and Siakam. Nimby, that'd be like Twin Towers there. I mean, yeah, you got, you know, you just, you mentioned the Horford and, and Chris Stops. I mean, if you, I'm taking Embiid and Siakam and, and going that route. Um, you know, especially if you could, I don't know if Harden would go to Toronto. I don't know what the, the trade details would be on that. I don't know if the Raptors would send picks in, in uh, Siakam or how that would go. Um, be really interesting if they could figure out a way to trade Tobias Harris and some picks to, uh, to, to Toronto and have Harden, Siakam, and Embiid. Now that would be something. Right. Um, I don't know if they could get that done, but 76ers with Nick Nurse now being there, that and have them having the Harden issue or currently, that is the team that I could see uh, in the running. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Summer League, let's go over some uh, winners and losers. Tom, uh, some of the guys that, that caught my attention, um, you know, obviously what we saw out of uh, Wimby, I know that he didn't look good that first game, but the second game he was dominant. Jamari Smith with Houston, he kind of looked too good to be playing in the Summer League. Chet, uh, once again, another good Summer League. I think Thunder fans have a lot of reason to be excited. Uh, Son Wallace also played good alongside him, too. Watch out for him. Keontae George caught some eyes there with the Jazz. Uh, Jarris Walker with the Pacers also looked good. Um, some of the notable winners there for me. Tom, who are some of the guys that have stood out to you uh, in uh, Summer League? What's been your takeaways so far? Yeah, I mean, you hit the ones on the head. Jabari Smith really looked good. Had a, had a hell of a game winner. Uh, against Toronto, that was pretty incredible. You mentioned Chet. 
Um, obviously, Wimbe and Yama for me. You know, I had our text convo about Wimby. I was over the moon that second game. Um, there is – I'm trying to think of his name. Oh, he went second round, 33rd pick to Minnesota. His name is leaving me. He's a winner in my book. Um, yeah, I'll find his name here in a second. I think those are really the winners for me. Um, your boy Grady Dick seemed like he was disappointing for the Raptors just a bit, but yeah, he, he's um, on that loser list. Let, let's go with that. Uh, Grady Dick underwhelming, but uh, at the same time, you know, he is what 18, 19 years old, too. I, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, the guy I was disappointed in was Brandon Miller, uh, in particular with the Hornets, the number two overall pick. You know, I, I love Brandon Miller. Uh, you know, this is a guy that. I thought looked ready for the NBA game as a shooter, scorer, defensive player, and everything. And and he was just off. Something wasn't clicking for Brandon Miller. You know, this is a guy that, with everything that went down in Alabama, still the next night goes out and scores 40 points. Like, okay, this guy, you know, he's got ice in his veins. He can figure this out. Something was was just off there in the summer league. I expected more from Brandon Miller. Um, and then uh, Kobe Bufkin from the Hawks who they took uh, at number 15 overall. He, I mean, he he didn't play great either. Uh, but nonetheless, Tom, uh, those are some of the, the losers I had. Brandon Miller, like, what what went on with Brandon Miller? That Something was just off. He wasn't him, his normal self. I mean, obviously, like I mentioned, Grady Dick, I thought. I mean, I think he'll get better with time, obviously. Um, he wasn't, you know, he's not like the flashiest type player he wasn't you know he didn't draw I mean he drew attention obviously but he didn't he wasn't you know on the he wasn't on the marquee sign for things to watch I'd say compared to the other storylines for the summer league I will say what's disappointing uh at least for the viewers and fans out there and it's not their fault either and I think both of them will be great players but um you know, you got Scoot Henderson got injured before then. He looked pretty solid. And then, obviously, for the Rockets, you have uh, Amen Thompson that didn't – that he got hurt too. Didn't look – I didn't think he looked outstanding before his injury, but he kind of got shut down late. The other twin, the Osir Thompson twin, I didn't feel like he was that – anything to write home about either. But, you know, like I said, it's – one, it's Vegas. All the lights and you know are on. Everyone who's watching you. Uh, there's obviously several NBA players who've had horrible summer league debuts and summer league, you know, just a couple seasons, and then they end up being in the Hall of Fame. And on the flip side, you also have NBA players who've shown out in summer league and ended up not being shit. So it's a weird thing to judge and you know it's exciting for fans especially if you have a higher draft pick or if your team is kind of on the up and coming to to watch that and kind of gauge but I don't buy too much into summer league by any means it is fun to see though you know the younger guys or guys that don't obviously end up making a roster get a shot to play and so you know a lot of those guys are out there giving it all they got and so it makes for some entertaining basketball yeah for sure uh, definitely so. Tom, let's uh, shift gears, get to our Big 12 breakdown this week. Big 12 media days going on uh, at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. 
And uh, a couple things uh, that I want to hit on uh, from Big 12 media days. Uh, first and foremost, Big 12 championship going to stay in Arlington there at AT&T Stadium till at least 2030. That was one of the big headlines. And, uh, you know, Tom, AT&T Stadium, wonderful facility. Dallas, right in the heart of the league. Um, I know that there was rumblings about was the SEC going to try to cuck the Big 12 and move their title game to Arlington uh, to appease OU in Texas, but that looks like that's not going to happen at least anytime soon. Um, you know, a- as long as Kansas City gets the basketball tournament, Dallas hosting the football tournament, I think it's it's a good fit for, for all parties involved here. I-, I think it's a win for the Big 12, just the fact that the SEC didn't come in and, and take their own territory here. Yeah, I'm pretty happy for that. I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there was something something great about the glory days of the Big 12 championship being in Kansas City. Um, but, you know, if OSU ends up making it in these next couple of years, which, I God, I hope they do, I'd much rather go down in the beginning of December and sit indoor in the AT&T Stadium than drive up to Kansas City and – you know, be outside in that Kansas City wind in December. Um, and since you know, we're located, gonna... like, sure, you could be in a dome in Houston or San Antonio or St. Louis, but Dallas is just the best for everybody involved. You're right, and it's a major airport, you know, like one of the top airport spots in the nation. You can literally get to Dallas. I mean, it's a major hub. I mean, Houston's major hub, too, don't get me wrong. Uh, Kansas City, not so much. Obviously not San Antonio. Where else are you going to hold it? We did mention off the show BYU talking about maybe Vegas or something crazy like that. That's not going to happen. But, uh, I mean, Dallas, major hub, you know, you can get there from anywhere. Um, So, you know, there's really no better place to have it. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense as far as it goes. Uh, Mike Gundy asked about the future of Bedlam after Oklahoma leaves for the SEC and he was pretty blunt when he said uh, on if they're going to play OU in non-conference, he said, no, Oklahoma State's not going to change what we do because Oklahoma went to the SEC. They need to change what they do. Um, OU, with the SEC right now playing eight conference games and having four non-con spots to fill, uh, OU would be more than happy to play Oklahoma State to take up one of their non-con spots they need to fill. Um, but in OSU's case, they've already got contracts of schools booked up, uh, for many years to come. I do think Bedlam eventually comes back, Tom, but I don't think it's until OSU gets their, their schedule freed up and, and Gundy's right. There's nobody to blame, but OU themselves here. This is not forever. This is not permanent. We will see this rivalry come back at some point in time, but, just the financial sense, it doesn't make any sense for OSU considering what it would cost them to continue this rivalry right now. Oh, this is this is on OU. No one else is to blame. Yeah, it is on OU, and it's it's funny that they cry wolf about it like they were thought OSU was just going to continue to to play along with that. Um, right, and to I'm cancel glad OSU... these contracts that would cost them millions of dollars. Yeah, just to take a. a a 90% of the time scheduled loss to OU. No, thanks. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy that OSU stood up for themselves and just kind of just said, Hey, fuck off. We're not being your bitch anymore. Um, so I'm happy for that. I would say Jones, and I'm interested to see what you think too. 
I'm going to say it's going to no bedlam for a decade is what I'm going to think. Unless it happens, you know, as soon as they can put them in a bowl game together, it'll happen. Uh, and it'll be an insane. If it happens before a regular season game, non-con is scheduled. If they end up in a bowl together, it's going to be incredible. Um, but I'd say it's probably going to be a decade before this game gets played again after this year. Okay. So here's something for you, Tom. Um, OSU has power five opponents scheduled all the way out until 2037. Now they could decide, you know what? We'll play another power five opponent. in OU. You do have a gap in 2030 in 2031 where they're only scheduled to play TU. They don't have a power five opponent then. So in theory, the earliest could be 2030, but if you want something consistent, you're not looking at till maybe 2038. So this is, this is a big deal. This might be the last one, at least for a while. It will be back eventually, but not at least for a hot minute, it would seem uh, with how that, shakes out with the way the schedule plays for OSU as long as the Big 12 plays nine conference games as well. couple takeaways from uh, what we've seen so far from Brett Yormark with his remarks, what, uh, what he had to say and everything as well at Big 12 Media Days, continuing to try to promote a younger, cooler brand uh, out there. I heard him preach the word culture a whole, whole lot. Um Tom, if, if if this league does expand like we think it will at some point, I, I think you're talking about probably a new name change at some point, new logo. Um, eventually, I, I think that Brett Yormark, with his vision and where he's coming from and the way that he's directed the path of this league, uh, I, I think at the end of the day, when, when the dust settles, this is just a, a whole different league altogether. I, I don't think the Big 12 brand is going to stay uh, as is. I think with these new members coming in and what you we've seen done, that eventually a new identity comes out of it. Yeah, I think it, I think it has to. And I think, you know, you mentioned your mark, and I, I think his kind of acumen as a business person uh, would lead you to believe that a, a rebrand would – is on the horizon, uh, you know, if not sooner rather than later. So, and I think it'd be good too. It'd be weird not saying the Big Twelve if they do do the name change, but some sort of rebranding will have to uh, will have to happen, right? Um, also, your mark addressed his comments from last year when he said the Big Twelve was open for business. Many people assumed that meant that he was looking for expansion in other schools, but he kind of clarified that uh that a bit here's uh here's what he said uh since then we've jumped ahead of the line talking about all angles of things when it comes to decision making with the new media rights agreement uh whether it's adding or not adding schools the big 12 is still open for business even though they've jumped ahead of the line they aren't going to sit on their hands when it comes to making moves um also you know referred to the mexico initiative and the new york initiative um i i think we all knew what brett yormark meant when he when he said last year the big 12 is open for business this uh of pointing to those other things the other things are nice they're not bad but i i do think it's trying to 
divert attention away from what he did actually say uh, last last year at this time. I mean, yeah, when he said that, Jones, we kind of we, you know, he he said it. He said what we all were thinking and what he was thinking by not saying it at all, and and kind of uh, you know, left him a, an avenue for to to brush off any uh you know any comments he he did it uh very professionally it was a professional f you we're gonna go headhunt and do whatever we need to do um but yeah i mean bringing him in was obviously probably saved the big 12 because if this is bob bowlsby still it would be there would be no big 12 i would think there it would have been a i don't want to be i don't know maybe like a hyperbole there but at the same time, maybe not. Um, well, know, he's, it's he's funny you mentioned that. League. It's funny you mentioned that, Tom, because they announced at Media Days they were going to recognize Bob Bowlesby, and they named an award after him uh, for the top student athlete, and they gave it to Max Duggan. And I'm like, really? We're, we're, we're giving this guy credit here? I mean, <laughs> the league almost fell apart because of Bob Bowlesby. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but Yeah, that's crazy. If I'm Max Duggan, I'm like, really? You're associating me with this guy? Um, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, uh, Yormark's done a great job. We, we've heard, you know, he was asked about expansion, and, and and he said exactly what we've said for a long time, Tom, uh, that, you know, they're very interested. They're, there's teams they're looking at. They're looking to expand, and 14 is the number they would like to get to. He said they don't have to get there, but they'd like to. Um, but the key is teams that add revenue value that don't take away. And, you know, it came out this past week that they're out on San Diego state. There's no interest from the big 12 in San Diego state might be interested in UConn potentially, obviously the, the PAC 12 four corner schools are a possibility, but the same thing rings true that if you're going to add anybody, it can't be with losing money it has to be adding value don't add just to add you add to add value and and that hasn't changed and the commissioner said all the right things about that right not exactly not just add to add i mean it's you know we want quantity sure and the right quantity but it's it's got to be more of a quality over quantity thing or you you know down the road you end up with with members that you wish you hadn't right yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a good point there. One more note uh, before we bring in Ryan Fowler here. Tom, a basketball note of sorts. The Bob Huggins saga we thought was done uh, as, you know, he, he had, we had thought put in his resignation uh, as the head coach at, at West Virginia. And, you know, obviously things had turned over. They went another direction that uh, West Virginia team did as uh, they were trying to you know, turn the page of such sorts as Josh Ellert was named the interim head coach who uh, served under Bob Huggins and everything. And now uh, Huggins is threatening lawsuit and demanding that he be reinstated and get his job back. We already said it was a, a painful ending for Bob Huggins to have the, 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 you know, homophobic comments he made on radio a couple of months ago. And then this DUI and how embarrassing it was for West Virginia in this program. And now this on top of all of that as well, after you already put in your, your resignation and he claims he didn't put in his resignation, whatever it may be. I know that Bob has been drinking a lot, not trying to make light of that, but I mean, 
Maybe he forgot that he put in his resignation or something. But nonetheless, it, if it could, if it couldn't get any worse, it somehow got worse for Bob Huggins. He's not coming back. He's not going to be reinstated, and he's only digging himself into a deeper hole of embarrassment. Yeah, it's kind of you got to bow gracefully here, or as graceful as possible. You know, it's crazy to me that uh, you know that he doubled down on 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 the way that he did uh i mean it's just he's made a shit ton of money you know he's old like bow out and uh you know bow out go live the rest of your life you know if you want to you know if you want to i'm sure they give him a, a freaking season pass if he wanted to go watch all the west virginia games Go there and and get drunk on the sideline and and bitch at the new coach from the from the fan side, um, but you know it's crazy to me that he doubled down the way he did. It's like let it go, bro, let it go. Right, and and there was a thought out there that okay maybe Ellert is going to be the interim for this year and Bob Huggins comes back after next year. But even that idea, Tom, I thought was ridiculous. Like if you're West Virginia you got to wipe your hands clean. I don't think you can have anything to do with Bob Huggins at this point in time. And he can threaten lawsuit, all that, whatever it may be. But if you're Ren Baker, you're West Virginia, you got to stand strong. You can't let Bob Huggins have that job back under any circumstance. Oh, no. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, as legendary as he is, I mean, you got to, you know, there's there's nobody. What are the, what, what Bob Stoops say about OU? There's nobody bigger than the program. Right. Got to find a program guy. Exactly. Right. And and Bob doesn't look like a program guy, at least for West Virginia right now. So, yeah, Um, no, maybe the, maybe the, maybe the bartending program. Maybe. Uh, Coming up next, uh, Ryan Fowler is going to join us. Coach Bo also standing by. We have our draft season draft where we will uh, draft the, Best victims of cancel culture coming up later on. Top fullery as well. Still more to get to. Stay with us here on the Jones. Joining us now, the Jones Report this week. Pleased to welcome back. It's been a minute since we last talked, but always a pleasure anytime we get a chance to talk to this guy. Ryan Fowler, who covers the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, in uh, Tuscaloosa for the game uh, down there on. Uh, uh, 100.9 FM uh, doing the uh, show weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. there in Tuscaloosa, the home of Alabama sports, and he joins us right now. Ryan, always a pleasure uh, anytime we have a chance to chat, man, and uh, thanks for joining us. I, I got to say, too, I always owe it to you because when when I was a college student just getting into business and everything, you were one of the first shows to, to have me on uh, from time to time as a guest, so I uh, always owe that to you, man. Thanks for what what you've done and been a good friend all these years, man. Well, I'm actually very excited and uh, very proud to to see guys like yourself, the good guys in the business. Uh, I remember going back, and I was just thinking about this when you had the um, did, didn't you call it the Doctor Jones report? Isn't that what it oh, was? Oh yes. Oh, that's way back. Okay. I mean, I want to say you were like fourteen, uh, thirteen, fourteen. I started that uh, show when I was 15, yeah. So Okay, you were young. You were young, and uh, this was back uh, then. And, you know, I remember you coming on my audience uh, 
you know, in Oklahoma, we played Oklahoma and I got to get you back on. And listen, uh, I'm not trying to doubt people in Oklahoma, but uh, I'm excited about those guys coming into the league because the Blue Bloods have got to stick together uh, when you look at, you know, Oklahoma. But uh, I'm not sure I'm buying Brent Venables as the long-term option there in Norman. I think uh, there's probably a few people out there that uh, would probably agree with me. But it's, it's always good to catch up with you, Tyler. Yeah, let's uh, let's start there. I know we got plenty to talk about with, with Alabama, and I want to get to them in just a bit. Since, but since you brought it up, let's go ahead and start that direction. You know, it, it's interesting because we've seen, Ryan, traditionally speaking, like if you enter a new league and you get off to the wrong foot, it is very hard to get things in gear and really get things going. You know, Nebraska's never made it work in the Big Ten as long as they've been there. Um, USC, you know, they, they had to get the right coach before they made their move to the big 10. We'll see what they look like when they go to the big 10. But like if, if Oklahoma and Texas, if Venables and Sark aren't the right guys, then, uh, not only would it take a mountain to get back to where they want to go, but makes things even another step harder, step further. If, if both schools potentially play behind the eight ball going into the SEC here. Well, I, I know a lot of guys that are on that Oklahoma staff, and and I know one guy that just stepped down, uh, Thad Turnipseed, which was the executive director of football operations. Uh, but I covered Todd Bates. He was a defensive lineman at the University of Alabama. So I'm pulling for these guys. It's just I just don't know if Brent Venables is – is it fair for me to say that there just doesn't seem to be a lot of energy and excitement around him? And he may be an outstanding coach. But coming out of Lincoln Riley, it just – it feels like that there's some sluggish times right now. And I'm real good friends with Chris Plank, which is on the sidelines. So oh, yeah. I'm not trying to take shots at, at Oklahoma by no means. It's just – I don't know, like, if you put me in Vegas and you said, Ryan, here's $1,000, would you bet that Brent Venables is the long-term option in Norman? And right now, I'm not sure I would. I also would probably say the same thing going into last year about Sark. Now, he's had a productive year. We're going to see if he can continue that because if you go back without looking, do you think Sark has ever reached double-digit wins in, in, in coaching, whether Washington, USC, or uh, at Texas? That answer is no. Never has. He's, right. never, he's never reached double-digit wins. And think about the talent that he's had when you look at Washington and UW, USC. Um, I think he's a great coordinator. But listen, you better have a strong personality to be able to put those Texas boosters in their spot. That's where I question Sark. So I think right now you've got some some coaches that still have some questions with Brent Middables and Sark in Texas as they make – and if listen, they haven't had great success uh, there when you look at, you know, at, at in the Big 12. Um, right. I just don't know if it's going to get better when you come to the SEC. This is a tough league. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging to even finish in the upper tier – and if they haven't been able to do it in the Big 12, I just don't know if they're going to be able to get it done in the SEC short term. Long term, maybe so. NIL may be the separator for, for Texas. They got plenty of money. Right. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, Brent Venables has done an incredible job recruiting. Uh, his recruiting classes have been better 
than the ones Lincoln Riley brought in uh, in his two years at Norman so far, but the results uh, got a show for it. And, you know, at this point in time, you know, I, I look at Brent Venables and kind of similar to Stark in this sense too, Ryan, really great coordinator, won national titles at Clemson and everything. And, and, and you know, I, I think that he can lead a defense in the SEC, but I, I don't know either about him as a, as a head coach. And you look at what Oklahoma's had in their history when it comes to head coaches of, you know, from Lincoln Riley to Bob Stoops to Barry Switzer to Bud Wilkinson, there, there, there's a lot of work to be done. Brent Venables has got to learn a lot himself before we can even talk about him in, in that great pedigree of Oklahoma coaches. He, he's got to learn how to be a head coach, and, and that's easier said than done. I agree. I agree. And and I think, uh, listen, I think it's fair to also say that Dabo has missed Brent Venables. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yes. When I look at Dabo, and, and sometimes, you know, people want to do it on their own, but then when you think about, you know, that program, and, and I'm friends with Dabo. I, I, uh, he's a guy that played at the University of Alabama. I love his story. I love his faith. I, I love his, his testimony uh, from being able to come on as a walk-on at the University of Alabama. So it's not I'm rooting against these guys, but I, I just see that, you know, they were better together than, than really they've been apart. Um, and, and I think you're seeing that because, you know, this NIL thing, it's it's some coaches seem like they embrace it, uh, and and I don't know if Dabo is a guy that embraces that or the transfer portal. Now it may pay off for him every few years, but it just it it seems like like I said I think these guys were better together, and and really I didn't think anything could could derail the Clemson dynasty early on. I thought this thing was going to go for several years, and I thought they would be a major player in the world of college athletics. But look how the game has changed so much. It's, it's almost like if you don't stay a step ahead, you get left behind. Um, we've seen it here in Tuscaloosa, going two years without winning a national title. I mean, you feel like you're hosting a funeral for me. I mean, I, I do radio every day, four hours a day in Tuscaloosa. I feel like I'm hosting a funeral. Uh, it's just like, not that I guess you can come back to life, but uh, you know, the energy around this program uh, Georgia has kind of sucked some of that out. Uh, when, when you look at the energy around Alabama, I think this is a very important year to try to reestablish that Alabama standard. You mentioned that with, with Alabama and Georgia in that sense. Tell me this, Ryan, does, does it make things even more frustrating for Alabama, the fact that it's not that they just haven't, you know, won the national championship the last two years, but somebody within their own league – uh, in Georgia, a former assistant, Kirby Smart, has come in and dominated college football the way it is that they've they've taken it from them right there in their their own backyard. I mean, how how, how demoralizing, how frustrating is it that it's it's not Clemson, it's not USC or Oklahoma and Texas, the fact that it's Georgia doing what they've done? Well, Tyler, have you ever been around a group of friends and let's say that you invent something and you look at them and you say, you know, one guy's all for it, man. He says, oh, this is going to be a great product. We're going to, you know, we're going to go to a shark tank and we're going to make millions and we're going to get people to buy this product. And all of a sudden you say, man, no way, no way. I'm, I don't believe it. This, this was just fun. It was great. Well, that's what Georgia's done. 
they've taken the Alabama blueprint because Alabama gave it up. Alabama tried to be somebody they're not. They tried to go razzle-dazzle. They tried to go fancy. They tried to go spread them out. And they lost their M.O. of who they wanted to be, physicality, a physicality, bloody in people's nose. Alabama gave that up. And Georgia said, hey, I'll take that. I'll take that invention. And you know that Nick Saban has to think about it, that he gave it up and he's now watched Georgia because we thought that that was the trend of college football. We thought that's where it was going. And if you if you back up just a couple of minutes and you think about what they're trying to do offensively, defensively, I think we're going to see college football because we're a copycat. I think you're going to see that style of play be implemented more and more, that you can play okay on the offensive side of the football and play great elite defense and win championships. And Georgia has proved that, hey, you can still do it in the world of college athletics. And I think when you look at the dogs, that's the Alabama blueprint. Nick Saban gave that patent up. Georgia took it. And, and now they – so to ask you if it hurts because Georgia – yes, but it hurts more that that's your style of play. That's your invention. That's what you were trying to be. And you gave it up to try to be something you're not. And I think Nick Saban, I think when he thinks about it, that right there is probably something that travels through his mind often. And I think you're going to see Alabama get back to that uh, to try to make one big final run here in the back end of Nick Saban's tenure. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that of being you're just good but not great on offense, but being great on defense. Um, you know, Georgia, the fact that they turned Stetson Bennett into a fourth-round pick, I think speaks a lot of Todd Munkin, what he did as the offensive coordinator there and everything. But, I mean, I, I look at this. We we've seen, Ryan, you know, Alabama won a national championship with Devonta Smith and Mac Jones and spreading you out and – with one of the best offenses we've ever seen in college football that year. And they had great defense with Alabama, with their resources and, you know, what, what, what they can do. Why can't you have both? Why, why can't you be a great explosive high powering offense, but a great defense too. I, I look at last year, they had two of the top three picks in the draft. They were just as talented, maybe even more so than Georgia was and didn't have the results show for it. And I think when you look back at last year, when you think about Bryce Young, when you think about Will Anderson, when you think about what Alabama uh, failed to do, I thought talent. If you would have gave me a, a check in Las Vegas last year, I would have bet that that was going to be one of Alabama's better teams. I just thought that that team was going to be dominant. I thought that Alabama team was going to be able to just to, to, to explode. I mean, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback coming back, Will Anderson, the defensive side of the football, and this team underachieved. They did not reach their goals. And I think that's why you're seeing Nick Saban use the words reestablish, recreate, because he knows they got away from that. Defensively, that they were not the standard. But I'd like to go back and answer the question uh, that you said just a couple of minutes ago. Well, I do think that when you play – this football where you score so quickly, I think it stresses your defense. I really yeah. do. I, I think that it stresses – I think it stresses your defense. And I think especially on a young defense, 
when you're not able to make the adjustments and you're not able to talk about it, you know, on the sidelines, I think that's what's going to help. And if you look at Georgia, look at time of the possession. Sure. Look at some of those stats with time of possession where they just go on those long drives. Well, the best defense is the one sitting on the sidelines. Right. The one that has to sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. That's that's your best defense. Keep that other opposing offense on the sidelines, and you you stay on the sidelines. To me, that's the recipe for winning. So when I look at Georgia, it's about that time of possession. And, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with uh, Coach Saban next week. Uh, and, and that's some of the questions that I'd like to go back to as he talks about where reestablish and recreate, would they like to get into some more of time possession? I think Tommy Reese is going to bring that back. If you look at him, physicality, 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 using the tight end. And really the strength of this team is running backs. That They've got a lot of big-time backs here in Tuscaloosa. And you know what it told me when there was no none of those guys that hit the transfer portal, none of them, zero. It tells me that they they have a plan to use these guys because none of them said, I'm going to go on the transfer portal. I'm going to exit out. They all believe that they've got a role on this team. To me, if you're an Alabama fan, that's a good thing, that these guys believe that they have a role on that team. And that tells me that they think that this offense is going to feature the running backs. And if you're an Alabama fan, I promise you, one of the things that we talk about so often here in Tuscaloosa is running the football. This team wants to win, but they also want to, they want to run the football. And I think you're going to see this Alabama team do that. Ryan Fowler joining us here at the Jones Sport this week as we're talking Crimson Tide football, also uh, around the SEC with uh, Ryan as uh, he joins us on the show right now. Ryan, uh, let, let me ask you this. Uh, when you look at that quarterback situation of what they're heading into, what what a great run of quarterbacks that, that school has had from Jalen to Tua to Mack and most recently Bryce Young. Now, where do they go from here? Uh, is there a worthy successor? It, it, what's that quarterback position going to be look like? How do they replace Bryce Young now? Well, let's, let's go into that because I think they're going to take some of that pressure off of uh, him for a couple of minutes. L- let's let's look at that running back, okay? And, and I can kind of break this room down a little bit. I really have an opinion. You and I have known each other for a number of years. I've always had a strong opinions on the quarterback. But I think when you look at Ty Simpson, his dad is a head coach at UT Martin. He's been a long-time head coach. Jason Simpson, you can look him up. He's He's been there for quite a few years. When you look at Ty Simpson, he understands that. He's a coach's kid. That's going to be a – he's going to be hard to, to, to beat out. Five-star guy, I think the future is tremendously bright for him. Now, let's talk about Jalen Milrow. When Bryce Young got hurt against Arkansas last year, Jalen Milrow was, was asked to be that starting quarterback against Texas A&M. So he has the starting experience. He has the ability to be a big-time quarterback. But I think the area that he struggles with is, is sitting in the pocket and going through those progressions, to go through one, two, three. 
He loves to run the football. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. And if you look at him, the body fat on him, it's got to be in the single digits, low single digits. He is chiseled uh, as any player I've ever seen come through Tuscaloosa. And really, if you look back at A-Day, that was not a game that was going to feature his strengths. He's a guy that can run the football, but he can also throw it. It's not that he's a bad passer. That's just not his strength. His strength is getting out there because he's going to be a hard guy to bring down. Well, you go through 15 days of practice, spring practice, and Nick Saban wasn't happy. And the NFL draft, when he was interviewed on ESPN, he made a comment. And he said, we needed to add a lot of competition to that room. He went out and he got Tyler Buckner, which now Tommy Reese is very familiar with Tyler Buckner. But it doesn't really give Tyler Buckner the advantage because if you think about it, you come into the Nick Saban system, you you learn his terminology. You learn what he wants to do. So even though it's Tommy Reese's offense, it's Nick Saban's system. So I don't really know if it gives Tyler Buckner, the transfer in from Notre Dame, an advantage. This is going to be a close race. And it's one of those, you know, when you get up on one of those news channels and, you know, they're doing the election coverage and they say it's too close to call. Well, that's where we're at. We're too close to call. I think you can win with all three of these guys, but it is a quarterback true competition. And right now, as we go into SEC media days next week, if you stuck a gun to my head and you said, hey, give me the team, the quarterback, I'm not sure I could do it. I guess I could put it in a, you know, a pot and draw a name out and say this is going to be your starting quarterback. I don't feel like that I've got my finger on the pulse with this. And everybody I talk to in the media business almost says the same thing. It's just too close to call right now. Brian, uh, when you look at the SEC uh, with this year and beyond – how do you think these teams stack up? What's what's the future hold? We know Georgia's been so good. Tennessee's emerging. Uh, you know, LSU, of course, uh, you know, bringing back uh their you know, their their second year uh with with their head coach and and everything with what's going on with Brian Kelly, um, and Oklahoma and Texas, we mentioned coming in and everything. Where does Alabama hold up with Nick Saban and company with with where we've gone with this sport, with NIL and in the portal and everything, how does Alabama's future with Nick Saban and company hold up with this with this league going forward? Where do you see this program going from here? Well, just in general, beyond Alabama and Georgia, or, no, Alabama, how they shape up with with the rest of this league going forward? How they? No, stack. I think they're I think they're fine, and let me tell you why I think they're fine. When you look at the transfer portal. Uh, I think Alabama's been able to live. You know, we just talked about quarterback a couple of minutes ago. But as Nick Saban gets older, every coach, whether it's Bobby Bowden or Joe Paterno or Coach Paul Bear Bryant, you can go to these old school coaches. As they travel up in years, they begin to get negative recruiting used against them, right? You go to Alabama, he's not going to be your head coach for just a couple of years, or he's not going to be there when you're a senior. He's not going to be there. Well, the transfer portal actually gives you that margin of error because if you're a five-star player and you believe that Alabama's the quickest way to the NFL, and they certainly are when you look at producing talent 
Uh, I mean, right now, what do they have? Like four quarterbacks uh, in the NFL, uh, right? You got Mac Jones, Tua, Jalen Hurts, and now you got Bryce Young. Um, yeah. So when you look at the quickest way to the NFL, stopping in Tuscaloosa is a good option. But I right. think when you when these other coaches use that age against Nick Saban on the recruiting front, I think the transfer portal actually helps Nick Saban out. I think Nick Saban, uh, these players can go, okay, well, if I go to Tuscaloosa and he retires in one year or two years, which I still think there's a number of years left in the tank, I don't see Nick Saban slowing down. But the one thing that I see is that he can counter – and he could say, well, you know, if you come to Tuscaloosa, and if I do retire in two years, like these coaches are telling you, the coaches that he, you know, coaches up against, then, then he gets to go, then hit the transfer portal, right? So you now have that in your back pocket if you're a, a five-star and you want to come to Tuscaloosa. You can come to T-Town, but then you could also have a chance to, to hit the transfer portal. I'm just saying they use that against Nick Saban. And they've used it for years, and it's not going away. The older he gets, they'll use it more frequently. I think when you look at long-term, the catalyst for this program is recruiting. And that's not dropped off one bit. You know, we talk about not winning a national title. Go back and look at the signing class that they just signed. Number one in the country. So when you look at recruiting, it's not going away. And, and I think that's where you start to see slippage. It's not happening. I think the transfer portal really helped Nick save it out. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think you had a great point there. And with that said, just looking at this league, uh, one of the big topics conversation uh, around the country has been the decision to stay at eight conference games. Ryan, I, I don't know about you. The, the way I look at it, I understand the criticism, and I do think the SEC eventually goes at nine, but it, it's a business decision, right? If ESPN wasn't going to pay the league more money, to go to nine games and get out of some of these games that they'd had to buy out just didn't make any sense. Uh, Greg Sankey, he, he's one of the smartest guys in the sport. I, I had no problem with him sticking with eight games for now. What'd you make of that decision by the league to, to go with that when the league uh, goes to 14 teams next year, state eight games? Well, let, let me kind of, let me tie something together real quick. Uh, when you look at Alabama, you know, in, in the future, when, when you think about, as long as I can remember, Nick Saban has wanted to go beyond eight games. He wanted to go to nine. He got very little help. I mean, I go back to Urban Meyer at Florida. was probably the last time he got a significant help was back when Urban Meyer was at Florida. He kept trying to talk about expanding the, the conference games. He got no help. He got zero help. Other than Urban Meyer back there, I, I want to say Dan Mullen gave him a little bit, but I don't think he was fully committed. He was on an island by himself. Well, then he started going to 10 games, and I always thought it was kind of a trick. He wanted people to meet him and go back to nine. So he really wanted nine, but he went to 10 and said, well, let's go to nine. Let's go to nine. He never could get any help. So what they did is they went out and scheduled all these non-conference opponents. Texas comes to Tuscaloosa this year. That's a non-conference opponent. Uh, you look at Oklahoma, they even had games with them scheduled in the future. West Virginia, Wisconsin, Florida State. Uh, Alabama goes to South Florida this year, goes down there to South Florida. And I'm sure that'll be dynamic for those guys. But when you look at the future, they went out and scheduled all these non-conference opponents. Now, look 
look ahead to 2024-2025. They play Wisconsin here. They play Florida State on the road. And then you add non-conference games. So, in, and I asked Greg Byrne on my show a couple of weeks ago, I said, is there some contract wording that allows you to get out of some of these? And he said, yes, there is. There is some, you know, verbiage in there that would allow them to get out. But I thought it was fine staying at eight. Um, and early on, I didn't really understand that. But if you start looking at Alabama's future schedules, like fbschedules.com, look at the opponents that they've scheduled. They go to Camp Randall in 2024. They go up to Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, and play on the road. So they went out and scheduled these opponents because they could not get the rest of the SEC to add more games. So in, in one way, I'm on Nick Saban's side on this. I, I think he's got a good point. Now when you look at and, – and then we're going to 12-team playoffs. I mean, think about if you're playing in the SEC. Let's say you go to nine. They got some years where they've got multiple uh, power five teams. So that would make 11. You'd play one freebie out there, which you know probably is a group of five or even an FCS team. You'd play 11 games. If you come through the SEC, you've got to go to Atlanta and play those guys. If you go to 12-team playoff, you're going to play an extra game there. I mean, we could really be talking about at least tied with the NFL when you talk about number of games. So when you look at the strength of schedule, if you're in the SEC, you don't have to worry about the strength of schedule. You, you, you're fine playing the schedule that you play. You don't have to be uh, the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or the ACC. Uh, Big 10's got a, certainly a quality you know, lineup from top to bottom. Uh, but if you're the SEC, you don't let other people dictate what you're going to do. Uh, you you do it and, and, and allow the cards to fall where they may. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Ryan, uh, we'll wrap up on this. Uh, when, uh, when you look ahead, uh, beyond Oklahoma and Texas, do you see more expansion uh, coming for the SEC sometime soon? And if so, who are the uh, top teams you think the league will uh, consider? You know, I've always thought Florida State and Clemson would be a good fit. Uh, but that ACC contract really does allow them to come out of uh, you know that 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 contract for a little bit. When I look at the future, I think we're going to a super conference. Uh, I think let's say five to ten years out, I think we're going to be talking about two super conferences. I think these a lot of these conferences are hanging on by the threads. So I just don't see it when you think about the future uh, of the super conferences. I think that's where we're going. And I'd be shocked uh, if we did anything else any different. I just think that's where we're going, and I don't think there's any way to prevent it. Um, and I think these teams know it, too. That's where we're going in college football. I don't know if the SEC will expand, uh, but I th it's an armchair race right now. And you can't let somebody else get the leg up, especially for the Big Ten. You don't want them to come in your geographical footprint. I do see them, um, you know, expanding. It may not be – in you know, the next... you on the sidelines and watch everybody else grow and you're not right well and, and it's it's so tv driven you know i mean like you could you could call the sec the espn conference and the big 10 the the fox conference i mean a, as long as the the networks are trying to get what they can to make more money uh then this is 
this is never going to end. Uh, you talk about the arms race, ESPN and Fox are always going to be competing with each other and using the SEC and the Big Ten as their brands to do it. Sure. Well, and that ESPN contract, uh, you know, I do wonder because we're looking at some of their financial uh, constraints of, of ESPN. I wonder if long term, if they're going to be able to pay the bills. You know, if yeah. I was the SEC, I'd be very, very nervous about them paying the bills long term. Yeah, I think so. Uh, great points there, Ryan. Uh, we got to run, but uh, tell us where people can find you and all the uh, stuff you're doing in Tuscaloosa, man. What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, it's Todd109.com, Todd109.com, Ryan Scholar, and uh, on the account, I'm on threads, I'm on Facebook. You can find me just by searching my name. And, you know, we talk a lot of college football. We certainly focus uh, very heavy on the Crimson Tide, but we just enjoy talking college football. We do it every afternoon, two until six, and we're a caller-friendly show. We take phone calls and Always invite new listeners to be a part of, you know, it's not like we're all Alabama fans. Uh, there's a pretty good percentage of outside of Alabama fans. Either way, we have a lot of fun, and uh, I respect the opinions of others. Follow at your own risk. <laughs> well said. Ryan, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk in down the line, and uh, we'll uh, we thank you again for being here with us, man. I uh, hope all is well in your neck of the woods, and best uh, to you. Looking forward to the start of college football, man. Hey, appreciate you so much, Tyler. It's always good to be to catch up with you guys. Have an awesome rest of your day. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, oagcast.com, o'connoradvisorgroup.com. You can also check out the Coach Bo Knows Podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing this week? We're doing good this week. How you doing? We're doing it. Very well. Um, I mentioned it off the top. I, I want to bring this up to you, too, uh, for our people in Lawrence and uh, Northeast Kansas there. Very sad news about our friend uh, Hank Booth passing away. Uh, I know yeah. you talked to Hank several times over the years. What a great man. Yeah, you know, and I kind of – I obviously knew who he was and was aware of him for a long time before I actually get to meet him. Uh, it was actually you that introduced us. Um, I know he was a mentor to you and a friend to you, and you will not find a more likable – and cared about man in the city of Lawrence than Hank Booth. Um, you know, and, and just someone that was a kind gentleman to anybody and everybody at any time of day. It never, maybe I never had a bad day. And I, I, I envy that in a way. Um, uh, but the sad thing to lose someone like Hank Booth and, and, uh, my thoughts, prayers with his family and really everyone who's yourself included, who are, are people who were mentored by him, who were close to him, uh, a really, really good man. Yeah, uh, appreciate that, Hank. Uh, we're certainly thinking of the uh, the Booth family and everybody back at KLWN and everything uh, for sure at this time. Uh, the franchise tech deadline coming up next week, Bo, and two guys in particular that everybody's got their eyes on. That is Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs. And in case people don't know, to kind of give the details of the situation here both players have until I, I believe it's monday to come to terms on an extension or the window just passes they can't get extended uh after that date uh then at that point you're playing on the franchise tag 
or you're simply not playing at all at that point. Um, and there has been reports from front of the show, Diana Rossini from ESPN, saying that Saquon Barkley is straight up threatening to not play on the franchise tag. He's willing to sit out week one, potentially. Uh, Bo, coming down to the wire here, and it doesn't appear like either situation is close. Sounds like the Giants situation might be closer because pressure from ownership to keep Saquon Barkley. But nonetheless, what do you think of these two circumstances with Barkley and Jacobs trying to get these contracts? You know, it's a it's part of it is just simply the position that it's the smart business move for the team to franchise, for instance, for the for the Giants to have franchised Barkley and then make a deal with Daniel Jones. With Josh Jacobs, the same thing. It's because the running backs, I've said this publicly, I say it privately. Unfortunately, running back is the most replaceable position in the NFL. A lot of teams do the committee thing anyway. Uh, there's very few three-down backs. Uh, we're talking about two guys who are as close to three-down backs as you can get. But unfortunately, it's just a position that you don't get paid well for anymore because of the longevity of it. You're sure. just not going to have a long career. And so I understand that I'm sympathetic to Jacobs and Barkley because I want to see a player get all the money they can, but they also have to understand that they're not going to get the big contracts that running backs got, you know, seven, eight, ten years ago as far as the length of those contracts. They're just not anymore. And it sucks because you could probably make a little more money if you play it year to year, but there's no guarantee if you get hurt. And what's to have a team, if you got them on a one-year deal, just keep handing you the ball, handing you the ball, and running the wheels off the truck. So it's a tough deal for both of them, and, I, and I'm sensitive to that. In the end, I think the best thing they can do is either play under the franchise tag and, you know, it, it just, it just go. Well, the best thing they can do is make, get their deal now, extend the contract before the end of the week, or hold out for the season. And because then you're not putting any tread on the tires. Again, I, I don't know that I would trust a team like the Giants and certainly like with Jacobs with the uh, with the Raiders. What are you really battling for there? They're not going to be a good team. Right. So why not hold out? So to me, if it's Jacobs, I'm more apt to say, pay me my full contract now. Get me a long-term deal now or I'll go somewhere else next season. With Barclay... The Giants took a, a little bit of a risk on him two seasons ago. Sure. There some things they could have done when Barkley was hurt. They stuck with him. So then there's that pull of being loyal to the team, so to speak. So I get that too. Plus, the Giants are in a situation where they could make a little bit of noise in the NFC East. So if you like your situation, I think if I was Barkley, I'd go ahead and play. Yeah. If I was Jacobs, I wouldn't, unless I got a long-term deal. Well, and I look at two. I I, I think Barkley 
and Jacobs are both very good running backs, similar in talent level. I think Barkley's slightly better, but not a whole lot. I think they're both very good. But their teams are in completely different circumstances, Bo, where you have a Giants team that's in win-now mode, coming off a playoff win last year, get to the divisional round where they surpassed expectations and they got better with what they did this offseason. And you have a Raider team that's just a dumpster fire that is, you know, got not much talent there, an awful head coach and all of that. As far as the team's aspect goes, if you're the Giants, I think it's smart business to go ahead and and keep Saquon around and provide that safety net. You've committed to Daniel Jones. I don't think Daniel Jones is the same player without Saquon. You need to go ahead and do what you can to keep Saquon around for a little while anyway. The the Raiders into things, they're so bad and they're in – in rebuild mode, if I'm the Raiders, I'm trading Josh Jacobs and I'm getting what I can for him right now because you need to help that reload. And, and Josh Jacobs doesn't match their timeline, I think. What say you? Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I think if you're the Raiders, you go ahead and get whatever it is you can. You probably would have already have gotten that and you have it now. So there won't be a whole lot of value moving forward. But I tend to agree because the cupboards are bare. In Las Vegas, they don't have a lot in that team. There's a lot of problems with what's going on with that team, and I'm not sure that I would um, commit to anything full long term right now outside of a quarterback if I were the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. I think you said it best. The words you used there of uh, Josh Jacobs' timeline and the Raiders do not match up right now. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um... Very interesting. We'll see how it ultimately uh, all plays out. If you were to predict, Bo, when the deadline hits on Monday, what do you think is going to be the outcome? Do either one of these guys get a deal? Uh, what do you think happens? I think Barkley gets some kind of deal worked out. I do. I think that you mentioned the thing about ownership wanting to get in there. I think there's a lot of loyalty on both sides there. I think eventually this is all a lot of posturing right now. I think, though, that I think that happens. I think that one does. You know, we'll see on Jacobs. I think Jacobs is someone's going to try to hold out, but I think once the season starts, he'll get in there and play. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Uh, Tom might want to chime in on this one. I'll be curious what he has to say, uh, potentially speaking. Aaron Donald uh, reports out this past week that if the Rams get off to a slow start, that they could be looking to shop Aaron Donald at the deadline. We've already seen what they've done of moving on. From Jalen Ramsey, obviously, Bobby Wagner is back in Seattle now. Um, there was questions about Stafford's future. There was another report out this week that they had shopped Matthew Stafford but didn't get a deal that they liked from Stafford. Um, you know, I, I look at that Rams team, and we don't typically see a lot of trade deadline stuff of these buyer-sellers this is typically MLB discussion, but if you think about it in the Rams case here, Bo, Aaron Donald has talked about retirement. We don't know how much longer he's going to play. He's owed a ton of money over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, it's a unique circumstance that I think might allow for this thing to actually come to fruition if uh, there came a point if the Rams do not get off to a good start here. Yeah, I mean, this is not something you see much of in the NFL. You know, the team's, I don't want to call it tanking, but a team's not performing well on the field. And so they trade around, they trade along their 
their their best pieces to to add to to add to the conference for the future. You don't see a lot of you see a ton of it in baseball. Uh, we're going to see that in baseball in the next few weeks, but we don't see it in football much. I think this is a little bit of clickbait. The summertime slow, slow news. Day. Something that the <laughs> that, that an agent says and and runs with it kind of thing. They would they would never trade Darren Donald unless he requested a trade. It's like I, I tend to I, agree. I, I know it's a business, but he's like I mean, when you think about the Rams, think about the Rams from the time they won the Super Bowl in St. Louis. There's a couple faces of the franchise who they would, you know, be hard to part with. One of those was Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce. You could even say Kurt Warner, but I know he left. Um, after that, I mean, you have Steven Jackson, right, as a face of the franchise. Then after that, who is it? It's Aaron Donald. I mean, he's he's been with the team, you know. He, I don't know if he's the longest tenured Ram, but he might be. Um so you know, at that point, that they're not they're not going to get rid of him, and and I think part of the retirement thing, I bet one of his, and I'm saying this just I'm assuming this, but just from the information that I know, I'm assuming that he would be one of the guys that'd be like, if I'm not playing for LA, or if I'm not playing for the Rams, I'll just go ahead and retire. That's that's the kind of guy he reminds me of. Well, and you know, you you talk about going out with Grace and everybody on the same end. Let, let's let's play this scenario of some sorts. If you're at the, let's say, at the trade deadline, if the Rams aren't playing well and Donald's contemplating retirement at that point, I mean, Bo, I would think word's going to get out. I would think that his trade value probably wouldn't actually be that high if, if the idea was we're going to trade him because we suck and we think he's going to retire. That's not going to be kept behind closed doors, somebody's going to find that out and that's going to affect what you could actually get in a trade for him at that point. That's part of it. But also you got to assume the contract. That's a hard contract to assume. Like 40 in million. Yeah. yeah in, the, in the salary cap era. So there's a lot of things pushing back against the narrative of Aaron Donald being traded. Um, I tend to think that, and we talked about this a year ago when, when there was talk of him retiring, I thought that was posturing. We all thought it was posturing. You know, to a certain point, and or maybe it was just the the extra long season of a Super Bowl run was, you know, having its effect on him. I, I I don't think he's anywhere close to retiring, but I also think to Tom's point, he is the most important player in the history of that franchise. Oh man, I don't know. I wouldn't know if I don't know if I'd go that. I, I I do. I think so. I, I he's would, up there. He's, I do he's argue the Marshall Falkians. I he's, he's, on, he's 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 on the Mount Rushmore. I mean, there's you could go back like Deacon Jones and well, or, and I think people I think people don't really think about the fearsome foursome and Deacon Jones. Deacon Dick Jones, Knight I mean, one of the greatest players of all. Yeah, time. Eric Dickerson up there. I mean, but yeah, really and truly, the six, most success that they've had as a franchise. Yeah, in this era. And it's been centered around a defensive player, which is so rare, and it's been centered around Aaron Donald. And I guess that's fair. Some people are calling him the best defensive player of all time in the talks of that. He's in the argument. Well, yeah, if, if it weren't for a guy named Patrick Mahomes, and in fact, even early on in Mahomes' career, everybody was saying this is the best player in the league. Like he was only second to Mahomes, maybe at times the guy. 
Well, I would argue that he's the most valuable player in the league when you take into effect that what the drop off between him and the next best. Yeah. 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 If you say if you, you can say, look, Patrick Mahomes is incredible. We all know right. that. But the drop off from Patrick Mahomes to Josh Allen isn't as deep as the drop off from Aaron Dell to number two. Whose right. number is TJ Watt too? Well, TJ's an edge rusher. Net number two yeah. defensive tackle would probably be Chris Jones. Yeah. What's the drop off? Huge drop off. Chris Jones is going to be a Hall I mean, of Famer. He's had a good career, but he's nowhere yeah. close to Aaron Donald. Yeah. I mean, That's we true. were sitting here drafting a team, a real team, and you could, and you were sitting there in the top two, and you and you took Aaron Donald over Patrick Mahomes. I can understand that. Right. Because I can look at it and go, well, I'll get a quarterback in the next round that's going to be not as good, but just as valuable. Right. Yeah. You that's can't true. replace Aaron Donald. Yeah. It's a good point. And, and he oh. still has a lot left in the tank if he decides I, I not so to. I mean, he's still at the top. How, how old is Aaron Donald? 32, I believe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for a player in his position, and especially in that his position and how he plays – is a position that can still – look, Vaughn Miller is my example of this. Mm. You, you can take Aaron Donald and he can be effective playing 20 plays a game. It's about how he plays in certain aspects and times of the game. You know, against the run, against the rush, you know, that's the thing that I think Aaron Donald is completely different than everybody else. Out. I mean, look at Calais Campbell still going. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. I mean, and, and Aaron Donald, I mean, look, I like Clayus Campbell. He's a great Clayus is gonna be Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. Yeah. But he's not on Aaron Donald's level. No. Yeah. It's a great point. Um I'd be, I, from a fan point, I'd be heartbroken if they if they him. Yeah. Rightfully yeah. <laughs> so too. Um hard knocks uh, gonna be the Jets. Nobody wanted it, but they ended up with uh, going to New York here. What a fascinating uh, hard knocks they had. I'll say this, Bo. Hard knocks, I feel like, has not been good the last few years. The last hard knocks I think I really liked was the Browns season. But there was a change uh, in the last several years where they gave teams more control of the editorial and the production side. Uh, I think it started with that Raiders season and the Cowboys season. So th- I-, I thought the show just got worse ever since then. But now you, you got this Jets uh, hard knocks here. Uh, Robert Sala, I think, is a-, a very fascinating head coach. We uh, Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Um, but the other cats that are involved, you know, bringing in his his cronies from Green Bay and, and you got the Zach Wilson factor and Zach Wilson's mom – um and her friends and just all these different things here i'll give it a shot this is going to be the most interested i've been in hard knocks for a while i'm not getting my hopes up too much because i've been disappointed one too many times but i am very intrigued to see what comes of this okay so i'm gonna agree and disagree with you i'm gonna disagree with you on the point that hard knocks was not interesting last year was great the lions last year was great i thought it was okay Oh man, I was I'm down with the Hey, huh? If you listen to Coach Boyle's podcast, you know that I'm down with the Lions and I'm down with the coach and everything they're doing there. And a lot of that had to do with what I saw in Hard Knocks. Um so I I, I disagree at that point. 
What I do think is interesting is that we're going to see a whole lot of the Rod- the Rodgers narrative. And it'll be interesting to see if we get Aaron Rodgers' opinion, the Jets' opinion, or an independent third party trying to put together the bits and pieces. Um, it will not be as fun as the last time the Jets were on hard knocks. Do you recall that? They had infamous Jamal Adams hard knocks. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the cast of characters from the last Jets hard knocks. We had we got the infamous Darrell Rebus moment out of that one with Rex. We had Long that. We had uh, uh, now. What is it? The um, now get the fuck out of here and get a snack. Yeah. <laughs> all the. All the uh, when uh, or not Darrell Rebus, sorry, uh, Cromartie, when he couldn't name all his kids. Yes, yes, yeah, and then all the Rex Ryan stuff. So, um, I think Robert Salah is a really great coach, but I don't know that he's as interesting as, as Rex Ryan was. Um, certainly won't be as fun. It, this is this is they chose the Jets in the end because it was Aaron Rodgers, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's they could have put other teams in there and there. I, I I wonder how they – there's the rules of how they choose the teams and who is in and who can't be in or or who cannot choose not to be in. And there was a few teams that were left over and they had to make one, which is why the Giants, the Jets are in now. Right. But there's teams we haven't seen on Hard Knocks yet. Let's yeah. get someone in there we haven't seen yet. And, and part of it doesn't have to do with, like, whether you made the playoffs or not and – there's a, a formula of some sorts uh, that they how they choose it each time, but yeah, um, I, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how this uh, ultimately all plays out. Yeah. Uh, Bo, one more free agency note of sorts. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. The last time we talked, Bo, we said that, or, or you said rather that you thought that D Hop and Dalvin Cook is going to come together in New England and. Since we also last talked, we know that Dalvin Cook turned down an offer from Miami, said it wasn't enough money. DeAndre Hopkins, according to reports, is waiting on the Chiefs uh, to see if they present an offer before he signs with somebody. One problem with the Chiefs, they only got $500,000 in cap space. It had to be some type of league minimum deal or or something or or, or push some Mahomes money back or something, whatever it may be. The money's just simply not there right now. Um, in D Hop's case, I, I can't speak for the man because you know he manages his own money and all that. But what wouldn't it be somewhat very tempting if you're DeAndre Hopkins to say, Hey, I've made X amount of dollars? Like it would be I can understand where he's coming from of it's very obvious. Kansas City's not gonna be able to offer what New England and Tennessee can. But if they can make something work to go there and play with Mahomes and go chase that ring, like if, if he goes that route and sacrifices money, um, it, it's going to be hard to blame the guy if if that's the route he wants to go uh, at, at this point. I think. Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm one of those guys. I don't watch other people's pockets, so I, whatever they choose to do with their money, they choose right. to do. But I, I can understand. The idea of taking less money to go chase a ring, as they want to call it nowadays, you know, to, right. to play on a successful team. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I've kind of, you know, a month ago, I there was no chance that both those two guys, Cook and Hopkins, were going to end up in New England. 
Now, you know, two weeks ago when we last chatted, I thought both of them were going to end up there. Still think Cook's going to be there. And I think that Hopkins in the end, that may be his best offer. I think that what we're going to see is we're going to see players over the next few years. And we kind of mentioned this already uh, with another with uh, the Aaron Donald thing and a couple other players. We're going to see players that are either going to bet on themselves and continue to take one and two year deals and hope to avoid injury and will make more money doing that than guys who will sign a five or six year deal. Knowing that these four, five, six year deals aren't guaranteed. You know, it's kind of the, if you look at an historic purpose, it's kind of like Darrell Rivas did a lot of that in his career. Sure. You know, jumping from team to team, a year here, two years here, that sort of thing. Odell Beckham is a guy who's doing that now. You know, that's more having to do with the injury thing. But if you're not going to get a long-term deal, you want to bet on yourself, I don't see the problem with saying, yeah, I'm going to go who's going to pay me the most money. Or I'm going to see up to the very last minute where I'm the best fit. Because the idea being DeAndre Hopkins could take less money, go to Kansas City, win, whether it's a Super Bowl or not, but at least it makes him look more valuable a year from now. Right. So there's a risk involved with that. And I think we're going to see non-quarterbacks, because those are the ones who aren't getting paid, non-quarterbacks, non-pass rushers, and non-top-tier corners. I think those are the ones who are going to get paid. I think the rest of them are going to be doing some of this. I'll sign a two-year deal. I'll Mm -hmm. sign a one-year deal. Once they get to 30-plus and try to keep themselves up to a high level and take the risk. Yeah. Yeah, I I can very well see that. Uh, A couple college notes here. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald uh, out at Northwestern with the – hazing allegations and lack of institutional control as the uh, NCAA would call it. Um, He's done. He's out. Uh, Bo, it's, it's a different time than it was. I I think maybe even five years ago, this would be a slap on the wrist or suspension for, uh, for Pat Fitzgerald. But I mean, that stuff can't fly anymore. I mean, you got to, you got to have control of your program, even when, you know, these head coaches have so many people involved that are, you know, they, they, uh, you know, are deferring stuff to assistants and staff to handle. The head coach at the end of the day has got to know what's going on, have control of the program. There, there was really just no excuses for how that was handled. Yeah, there's no excuse. He should have known. He says he didn't know, but he, I mean, if he didn't know, then he's ignorant about what's going on in this program. If he did know, then he's lying. Either way, he's out. That's the way you have to look at this. And again, that's just being held to a standard. And you know, I, I the, the, the I don't feel sorry for Pat, Pat Fitzgerald at all. I mean, this is a right. situation where it's saying, "Hey, look, you either knew this was going on or you're an idiot." Right. Um, he knew it. He's trying to you know run around and save his job. What not? Eventually, the buck is not going to get. The buck's got to stop somewhere. Right. He's got to stop at the head coach, and 
he's got to go. You, you look. We are in a time where you have to make better decisions than you ever have. That even our private lives are in the public view, and you have to hold yourself to a certain standard, especially when you're leading young men, and it's in Northwestern of all places. You know, this is this is not, this would not be surprising at Florida State. You know, this would not be surprising at Arizona. You know, just you know these funner type of schools. Yeah. What? Yeah. Today, what was the what was the hazing at Northwestern? They make them write a paper or what? Yeah. The the hey, I I I've only read parts of the stuff, so I'm not going to get all the way into it. But some of this was in. Um, a both a racist and sexual in nature. Yeah. And things that were really not just inappropriate, but for well, I mean, you just according, can't according to players who spoke with the student newspaper there, black players were asked to cut their long hair, their dreads, while white players were not required to cut their hair if it was long. Um, and that was from the coaching staff. Wow. I mean, like, what are really, the, we're, we're here, it's 2023 and we're still debating about dreads here? Like, come on. Yeah. One of the other pieces was something involving the shower and naked, naked athletes and a, something called a car wash. Yeah. And, and I don't want to get too graphic. Um, there, there's info out there. You want to go to the athletic or go to ESPN.com, you'll find it. But some of those things, yeah, you just you got to go. And it sounds like when Northwestern first imposed a penalty on on Fitzgerald, it sounded like they just wanted to sweep this under the rug and be done with it. And right, he was going to be suspended in two out. weeks. Yeah, and, and more info came out, and they just went, "Holy shit, this guy just kept it, it, he lied to us." Yeah. That's what it sounds like. The cover-up's always worse than the act. Right. And that's what seems to have happened here as well. Yeah, so no uh, no forgiveness here. This this and it the, the funniest thing I heard about this, though, in good humor is I'd like to know what Michael Wilbon has to say about it. All the Northwestern alums, Jay Adande, yeah. Nichols. Yeah, anybody that's a Northwestern alum, the holier-than-thou people, I'd love to hear what they have to say about this now. Um, but it's their school, you know. Right. But, no, I, I think they did the right thing in letting him go. And, well, and, Bo, let me ask you this. You know, you've been around coaching a long time at, yeah. at different levels and everything, and and I'm sure you've seen it all over the years of of hazing and heard stories and, and, and all that. I mean, th- this is just something that's not tolerated anymore. No, like, no. there was a time when this was a regular thing where, you know, I, I, the, I think the mindset was that, you know, boys became men, that they grew stronger from this and, you know, just part of team habits and all that. That This just, in 2023, like, this just doesn't work anymore. Like, you're no. Wherever you go, that's going to be a problem. I agree, and I'll give you a couple of real examples in my life. So, um, yes, I think attitudes 20, 30 years ago were boys will be boys, and this is the coming of age, if you will, at the college and even the high school level. Um, When I became a head coach many years ago, 
it was one of the very first things I spoke to my team about. That one thing that will not be tolerated is any sort of hazing, any sort of picking on younger players. This is a voluntary athletic event. You don't want to be here. You can leave. If you are someone who feels that they have to initiate somebody, well, then I will initiate you at practice. I will initiate you back to your parents. Yeah. At the high school level. We, we will make sure this does not happen because we want it to be a positive example to younger people. And, and that's really how I've looked at that in the past. Um, I was also part of a, of a hazing situation when I was in high school where someone at a school I went to reported a hazing incident. I was not a part of it by any means. A senior picking on a freshman. And our coach, who was an old school, 19, you know, I mean, this guy was a high school teammate at Joe Namath. That's how old he was. He, coach Walton passed a couple this past year. He pulled the entire team in. This it will not be tolerated. Plain and simple. This is not coming of age. This is not boys being boys. This was and this was 1993. Again, this is how this was. And if the hard-nosed people from back then were saying it, you should goddamn know well better now. And yeah, I just I just feel it's just not. I don't think it has any place in sports whatsoever. I really don't. Yeah. I don't think it has any place in society whatsoever. When I was in high school, too, we had a situation where uh, the seniors were forcing the freshmen to fight each other in a ring with UFC gloves and going yeah. after it, you know, as a coming of age, you know, prove yourself of sorts, you know, and like, that, can't do that, you know, I mean. Tom, like I, I think about you remember in in Bigsby a couple of years ago, uh, right outside of Tulsa. There, they're the powerhouse football program of the Tulsa area, but it almost didn't happen before it started because the superintendent's uh, son uh, had a pool stick and was forcing oh, it up a kid's ass. You know, and it almost took down the entire football program. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then, and it definitely happens. That's a bad thing. It happens way more than we know. Yeah. I mean, it happens across anywhere. I mean, all sports. Yeah. yeah. And it's a behavior that's just unacceptable, period. Um, as far as Northwestern goes, that's not an easy place to win. Uh, academics are tough. Facilities aren't great. You are in Chicago, though. Um, and it's the month of July's. Camp's just about to start here. They are doing a coaching search, it sounds like. The assistants are going to be retained. Options kind of limited at this point. Bo, um, do you see them hiring a full-time coach right now, or do they hire no. an interim for the time being? This will be an interim. I think you and I are discussing this before. We both had names. People be low flight. Um, this is an interim job because they're keeping staff. Right. This is going to be an interim situation. Coach Joe's a great interim. What's that? <laughs> Coach O is a great interim. Hey, I think Coach O Ed Ogeron is the perfect hire. For he, he might be the greatest interim coach of all time. He very well might be. I mean, I'm not talking about what he did at LSU. I mean, LSU, USC, USC, everywhere else he's been, he's been a great interim. And, and he, another good interim that's available, too, that could be their full-time head coach, knows the area, Jim Leonard. 
Jim Leonard is another great idea. And there's and with Coach O, it's one of those that he's wanted to get back in coaching. And a couple of the jobs he's talked about with Syracuse a couple of years ago, you know, now Northwestern. This is a guy that could do some things there. I I'd be making that phone call if for no other reason it'd be interesting. Uh, but I, I think it would get some attention in a positive way. And, you know, it, it, I do wonder if if there would be, with the stuff, the way things in at LSU and behind-the-scenes stuff, if that could be a bad look to hire him with this situation in Northwestern. I know probably the two, so. Probably, you're probably I know the right. two aren't similar. They're not related, but just the PR side. Yeah, yeah the stuff that happened in LSU was off-the-field stuff that was um, more disingenuous than it was illegal right. or against any rules. You know, was was probably the better way to put that. And but I do think that you're probably right that it's probably not the best fit right now. Um, I just look at it and go, man, if I could hire an interim, if I needed an interim coach, that guy's been an interim coach. He's been at a high level as an interim coach, and he's been successful. Yeah, it'd be hard for me not to make that phone call. Hey, that that'd be one I would definitely make a call to. They're gonna find somebody. Hey, I wouldn't be surprised if they go get a big, big name that's just someone to fill in for a year. Yeah. You know, it is Northwestern. I mean, that's, there's a there's a cachet to the private school and, and who they are nationally in that way. Yeah, if maybe Gary- someone who it's but you know, whoever gets hired full time there is gonna have to be someone who is above board, respected, admired. And will hold compliance very important. Yeah. I'll float you a name, Tommy Reese. Yeah, um, Gary Patterson would be another too. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good choice too. I, I, I like the idea of Tommy Reese. I do like Gary Patterson. It's a good choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see what they do. One more final yeah. note, just, just real quick. Uh, DJU, things didn't go well for him at Clemson with all the hype that was there and everything. He's now going to Oregon State. He's got one more year of eligibility left there. And he just got picked in the 20th round of the MLB draft. Uh-huh. Um, Bo, it's pretty certain that he's got pretty much no future in the NFL. If you're DJU, play the season out, make your NIL money, do you consider going ahead and taking that MLB shot you got the 20th round here? Absolutely. Why not? I mean, what now from my understanding, I, I saw the draft pick. I wasn't I did not know his baseball, but he obviously had to have played at some point. He hasn't played um, since high school. He hasn't played since high school. And I understand the reason why was that he and his family chose for him to go to Clemson and focus on football. But my understanding was he was a, a fine pitcher and a very highly thought of guy. Hey, look, we've seen this happen before. This has happened where you've had someone cross over. If you've got the baseball skills, we've been out of it three years. You don't forget how to play baseball. You can, yeah. I mean, uh, who was it uh, a couple of years ago? Um, Kyler Murray, same kind of thing. You know, in the guy, I still think that's the backup plan. If if Kyler Murray blows out his knee or arm or something, he he tries to play baseball. I, I think it's a little too late for Kyler Murray now. I think he's probably too old now because he's yep. 26, 27 now. Yeah. So I think he's past that. But I do think that uh, 
if you were 20, 21 years old, and, and he's going to Oregon State, isn't he? Yeah. Um, boy, I may not sign, let them retain my rights till the next draft, and see if I can go play spring ball at Oregon State. They got a, a great program. baseball program. Yeah. It's a hey, Adley, uh, they had a number one draft pick a couple years ago, Adley Rutschman, who just was in the all star game. You know, this is um this is a school that's won the college. They were well, they were the favorite to win the college world series the COVID year. So I mean, they're there's a great coaching there. There's that same coaching staff is there. I I'd consider it. Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah. Oh, the of going to the NFL are going to be in change positions anyway, most likely. Yeah, Bo, appreciate the time as always. We got to run. Uh, yeah. No show next week. So, what is on tap for the next couple of weeks on the Coach Bo notes? Okay, so this week we're going to have something. We took another week off last week. Uh, just we've been busy, man. We've been busy with work and everything else. Um, we got uh, we're going to be recording tomorrow. We'll be doing a second half Major League Baseball preview. That'll be interesting. I'm doing it by myself. Then this weekend we're going to jump into the uh, Pat Fitzgerald thing. At a different angle, Ellen Wingenter, my co-host, is an attorney. And we're going to get into the law stuff on this. So I, if you're intrigued by any of that, check out the pod that will come out probably Friday or Saturday, um, maybe Sunday. I don't it'll be this weekend. Um, but we're going to do a little bit about that as well and get in depth. And um, But the for next thing we're going to be doing is going to be all about second half Major League Baseball this season. I got some thoughts and some things I think are going to happen and some things I'm keeping my eye on. So, be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. He's Coach Bo. He's going to stick around. Todd is still here as well as uh, we'll shift gears and get to our draft this week as we are debating cancel culture. Draft season continues here on the Jones Report. Tyler Jones alongside Thomas Bridges and Coach Bo as we do each and every week are selections for something random of sorts. And this week we're doing something that I came up with uh, completely. I, I thought of this uh, the other night when I had some inf- insomnia. And as a result, uh, we have the cancel culture draft where we are going to assemble our best teams of people, things, places, whatever it may be that have been quote unquote canceled. And uh, I'll put it this way. This is as we've done with all these drafts, these are left open to interpretation. You could assemble the team of people you think did not deserve to get canceled. Maybe the, what you feel is the Avengers of, canceled things, whatever it may be. It's all open to interpretation, but it's certainly going to be entertaining. And, and before we get this started, uh, Bo has something that he would like to say uh, in regards to this uh, this topic. I would like to read a half-assed prepared statement here. <laughs> um, one, I don't believe in cancel culture. I'm going to be real blunt about this. I think the cancel culture is a right-wing narrative created to blame others for the consequences of people's actions. <laughs> Those people who are too self-important and oblivious enough to the, to the world to understand that freedom of speech is wonderful, but freedom of speech does not guarantee us freedom of consequences. 
So you'll see my draft is going to be very unique in that I believe in consequences. I do. I believe in consequences to the poor actions. I don't believe in, co- in cancel culture because you don't like something or you don't agree with something. Right wing, left wing, whatever. So I have my thoughts. And I want to put that out there for I will say I thought I was Googling something. I was doing a little research before we got started. And the term cancel culture, you know, it's it's a it's a the bad term. It, it's just a shitty term. I mean LeVar Burton, you know, uh reading uh yeah, reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow and it had a great line. He said, We ought to take the, the term cancel culture. And it should be renamed consequence culture. If we did that, it wouldn't be as spiteful as it is. And that's what I'm hoping to avoid today is spitefulness. Tom, is there any comment or anything you'd like to add before we start? Um, Just because I picked the people or companies that I picked does not mean that I endorse those people. (laughs) Okay. I will tell you that I don't. I I am not picking anybody that I would not endorse. Okay. Oh, see, that's dangerous. There's a couple on my list that that uh, I'll hint at separating the art from the artist. Yeah. Now, I fully, you know I fully it, believe now, in that. <laughs> that is something. That's an interesting point. And let me let me jump on that because that's an interesting point. If it's something as part of your art, if you're a comedian, if you're an actor playing a role. I think that's important. I'll give you an example. We've all seen the movie Django. Yeah. None of us like the character Leonardo DiCaprio played. But he did a great job as that character. All right. It's okay to appreciate an art. Yeah. I mean, as as a DJ, too, it's tough because... Some of the times, uh, I mean, mainly a rap artist that we all know that has been on and said some crazy, yes. crazy wildest things. I still play his music, but well, when that when that happened, people would legit be like, "I can't believe you're playing this guy right now." Yeah. I'm like, yeah, "Okay, I get where you're going." See, my thing is, is that I wouldn't cancel somebody for something they did in the arc. I'll give you an example. We were using here or not, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. It's it's nuance. And nuance is the enemy of cancer culture. Yeah. And that's what I think. We've talked about this a lot on my podcast because there are things that I will say, you know, we're having fun on the podcast, but we're kind of playing characters. Right. And it's yeah. to understand that there's a there is part of the art to that. And you know, so you're going to say something that may not be exactly how you feel. And yeah. sometimes you just say something fucking ignorant and you need to be held to consequences. All right. So there you now go. That we've gotten our disclaimers out of the way. Let's uh, go ahead <laughs> and get the draft started. Tom has the first pick. I got the second pick. Bo picks 30. He'll have the back to back. We'll go reverse order from there. So, Tom, go ahead and get us started with the cancel culture draft with the first pick. You are on the clock. Well, just like the Spurs, everybody knew they were drafting Victor Wimba and Yama. Bo kind of already threw it out there. I'm taking Dave Chappelle uh, with the number one. Uh, if, you know, he, he's been – here's the great thing about Dave Chappelle. You know, his most recent, after that Netflix special came out, that's like the 
umpteenth billion time he's been trying to get canceled. Um, Dave Chappelle has they have tried to he's somewhat officially been canceled, but not really. You can't cancel Dave Chappelle. He's uncancelable. I don't give a shit what anybody says. If if a lot of these people who come out and say cancel Dave Chappelle, if they were old enough to have watched the Dave Chappelle show uh, in the early days of Dave Chappelle, they would be horrified <laughs> uh, because, you know, there's no way Clayton Big- Bigsby could could happen uh, in, in today's day and age. There's no way. The racial draft. There's there's no way. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. And that's what we're talking about is that that's not a cancellation. That's right. Yeah. All right. So my pick, uh, so Dave Chappelle off the board for Tom, very first pick, very good pick. I'm going to go this next pick. Uh, He's had his statues taken down unjustly, unfairly. Uh, (laughs) This guy, I think, is is amazing and should be thought of in the highest regard. I'm going with Abraham Lincoln with my my first pick. Uh, I can't believe, of all things we've canceled in history, I'm fine with canceling Andrew Jackson. You know, he massacred my own people. But Abe Lincoln, like, really? Playoff Abe, honest Abe uh, with my first pick. Abe is a great noble, noble man. At first, I thought you were going full Confederacy or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, thought, this is going to be worse than the Stalin pick. I thought he was going Robert E. Lee and the yeah, I was going Andrew Jackson. Oh. And I was like, oh, Jesus, no, Tyler. <laughs> just, oh, he said statues down. I thought, oh, my God. Hey, Tyler, you're going to have to do some heavy editing this week, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought he was going full the South Rise Again shit. I was like, oh, no. Uh, great pick, though. I you you had me in the first half. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Bo, you're right. back to back. All right, the first one. This is just an obvious one. This one was this person was right. I mean, right about everything. Hillary Clinton. <laughs> she warned us. She was correct. She told us this shit. If there's ever going to be there's anybody who could ever just be on live television and say, see, I told you so, it's Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Very fascinating first round here. We're off and firing already. Dave Chappelle, Abraham Lincoln, and Hillary. Bo, kick off round two. Dr. Fauci. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Dr. Fauci has been canceled by people who are morons, people who can't read past the fourth grade level. These are the kind of people that watch AEW wrestling and root for the Young Bucks. I'm telling you, Dr. Fauci was right as well. Give me Dr. Fauci. Okay. Uh, My next one. This guy was literally run out of town in Philly. He worked his ass off. And I mean, he he did as much as he could, and then he found new life and achieved what he could never achieve in Philadelphia. I'm going Andy Reid with this next pick. Andy oh, okay. Reid, you deserve better than what the Philadelphia Eagles and the people of Philly treated you. Kansas City loved you; they showed you what it's all about, and you got those two Super Bowl rings. More to come. Andy Reid beat cancel culture. 
and got it done in Kansas City. Andy Reid was my next pick. Tom, you're up. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the entertainment uh, industry here, and I'm gonna go with a guy who I think is, and I don't know if you guys agree or not. And he said some pretty off the wall shit, and a lot of um, a lot of shit that that I don't agree with. Um, then he said a lot of shit that I do agree with, and he is a uh, very polarizing uh individual i'm going with joe rogan and i i think joe rogan is the modern day joe rogan's the modern day larry king uh and he's he is the best podcast uh that's out there besides this one joe rogan uh we knew that joe rogan was going to get picked in this draft uh he goes at the end of the second round tom you're back on the clock what are you going with here i'm going to go on the polar opposite end of things and i'm going to go with Lil nas x um, Lil Nas X, he has gone all the way from, uh, putting some very graphic stuff in his music videos, which I think is hilarious, um, to all the way down to, uh, kind of trying to, and I don't know if he ever made these shoes. He's going to make like a hundred pairs of them that were essentially Nike Air Maxes with human blood in them and people threw a fucking fit. I mean, people were ready to call him just the, the Antichrist immediately. Uh, and he, he did it for PR, and it was great. And uh, I love him for that. He, he he knew exactly what he was doing. Okay. So little Nas X is off the board to begin round three. My next pick, um, this guy, I think Tom and I were going to fight to the death to get this pick because uh, we had talked about it previously. Um he slipped up, said the N-word, lost his job, and uh, almost cost him his career. He came back to win a championship, and and he made it right. He gave back to the uh, the black community and, and such. Uh, I got to go Kyle Larson, the, uh, the NASCAR champion. What a story to bounce back from losing it all to the very next year winning the championship. Kyle Larson is my pick. Uh, or as Tom and I call him, a uh, little inside joke, Tom, uh, he's Axe Larson, right? Axe Larson. Axe Larson off the board. Uh, Bo, you're back on the clock. Back-to-back picks. Okay. Um, these are not going to be people. These are going to be things. Bud Light. <laughs> oh, great <laughs> one. Canceled. That's great. That's a great <laughs> one. <laughs> and in that same sentiment, Give me Target. Oh, the double whammy. Coming out firing, boys. Firing. You still, still drink Bud Light and shop at Target, Bo? I will, I will buy Bud Light at Target on the 4th of July. That is a great, that's a great pick. <laughs> I didn't. And I will have all my black, brown, native, and LGBTQ folks come with me. As we buy Bud Light on the Fourth of July at Target. <laughs> um, next on the list, uh, this one, I better grab up now because it's another one that I think Tom would want to take from me. Ooh, are you going to snipe my pick here? Um, and this one's kind of directed towards Bo. That oh. I know he won't like me. He wouldn't like Tom or I either one making this pick, but it has to be done. Uh, I'm going to go with Dave Portnoy. Dave Portnoy oh. has 
fended off cancel culture time and time again. And he's still standing and still rocking and doing his thing. Much respect to Dave Portnoy. Love Dave Portnoy. Uh, met him a couple times. I'll, I would literally steal a bus and run through heavy traffic just to run him over. <laughs> Dave Portnoy is my pick. Tom, you're up. Back to back. That's a great one. I I I did have him on my radar. I thought when you said when you said I here's another one. Um, I thought maybe you would snipe this pick, but he's kind of beaten the cancel culture a little bit. He said his his apologies. He said his his, his sorrows. Um, and and when he was caught saying it, definitely was not the first time. You could hear it in his voice that it wasn't the first time he used that. Um. And I was a little hesitant, but now he just dropped an album with like 36 songs on it. It's the most popular song probably in the U.S. right now, or one of them. Uh, I got to go with Morgan Wallen. So we've now had two draft picks that uh, got canceled for saying the uh, N-word uh, between Kyle Larson and Morgan Wallen uh, in this draft. Morgan Wallen, I'm actually going to, in my week off next week when we don't have a show, uh, I'm going to go see Morgan Wallen in concert while I'm in Phoenix next week. I love Morgan Wallen. Great music, uh, Morgan Wallen. And uh, I'm glad to see that he's bounced back uh, the way he did. Tom, you got another pick here. I will go with one that he was canceled, did his time. Uh, kind of kind of before that phrase was even around, he got canceled for this. I'm going to go, and rightfully so. Rightfully so, but he did his time, and he, he's kind of making a, a comeback, I would say, of sorts, maybe just with TV jobs. But I'm going to go with Mike Vick. Ooh. Mike Vick. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. But, uh, I, you know, he's he did his time. And still, I, you know, I talked to some dog lovers. I'm a dog lover. It's horrible dog fighting. But, like I said, served his time. And uh, now I'm, I'm sure just off a PR stunt donates however much money to the SBCA or some shit now. Yeah. Uh, and he's on TV now working for Fox. Uh, Michael Vick's recovered nicely. Uh, I, I, I like Michael Vick. I'm glad to see that he turned things around and, and the direction he has. Like he, Michael. he is one guy, Bo, that like he truly did. 180 pivot from what happened there. Yeah, Mike Vick is the guy who understood, who figured out there was a consequence and paid the price and said, I understand, I messed up. Right. And that, to me, is admirable. Yes. It's not doubling down and saying, I'm a super asshole. We've got plenty of those in this world. Dave Portnoy is one of them. <laughs> uh, Mike Vick is someone who, again, did something egregious. Yeah, owned it, didn't, and then said, "Hey, what do I have to do? I've learned the lesson. Let's move on." And, and I, I actually, I actually have a lot of respect for Mike Vick and what he's done since. Yes, for sure, for sure. Mike Vick, very good pick. Uh, I'm back on the clock. Uh, my next pick, he he's being canceled out of libraries everywhere, and I don't know how I would have learned to read without his books. Uh, growing up, uh, <laughs> I got to go with Dr. Seuss. Uh, I mean, like to me, of all people to cancel that you go after, Dr. Seuss was a bridge too far for me. That was a breaking point. 
uh, Dr. Seuss did not deserve to get canceled. Bo, you're back on the clock. You know, you were you and Dr. Seuss, and I'm actually going with a book itself. And that book is To Kill a Mockingbird. Very good pick. I, I will tell you, The right, Mockingbird is one of my favorite books, and I think it should be required reading for anyone who's just not a bad, bad person. Yeah. So, To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. Um, so, that puts you at five picks. You're down to your final pick. My last one, I'm finally going to have a sports person here. And this is someone who's been canceled by one side because they tell him to shut up and dribble. And that is LeBron James. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. Uh, my final pick here, I got a few different names. It's going to be similar to uh, Tom's pick at the very beginning of the draft. Um, I, I honestly don't know how Bo feels about him or not. But I've always respected him, and he, he's he been canceled multiple times, but always finds a way to come back. And I, I think he's one of the funniest people ever, very smart and intelligent. I'm going Bill Moore. Oh, you sniped me. You I, sniped I actually me. like Bill Maher. <laughs> it's surprising to you that I like Bill Maher because he'll listen to both sides. Yeah. And that's reasonable. Right? That's part of the whole – and that's part of the anti – counter cancel culture in that reasonable people can disagree. Yes. And I think Bill Maher represents that. I, I like Bill Maher. You like Bill Maher, Tom? I do. I do like Bill Maher. Yeah, yeah that was that was my next pick, actually. <laughs> that was uh, I mean I mean I'm sure there's a couple of reasons why you think I really like Bill Maher, but uh I'm sure you could probably pick a couple of them. Okay. So who's your final pick, Tom? I'm trying to. I'm, there's a lot of ones that I could pick here, um, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to pick a good one here because you sniped me there, and um, unfortunately, I didn't have a backup for that one just immediately. So I do have one that I think that I could. Uh, I think we could go with, okay. and. But it's not as good as the Bill Maher pick because that was my that was my I was gonna cap that draft off. I'm gonna go with you know what? Actually, I was gonna go with just banning books in general and the especially with Bo's to kill a mockingbird pick and people that, that cancel books. I think there's there's too many books um uh, that, that talk about banning books and there's obviously great books like Fahrenheit four fifty one, um that that literally touches on that issue in an extreme way. Um, but I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to pick Ricky Gervais. It's about Ricky as close Gervais. as I can get to. Yep. Gervais. Yep. That's about as close as I can get to Bill Morrow. They uh, share some of the same ideals. And if you haven't watched this show Afterlife on Netflix, can't say enough about it. Uh, he gets canceled and says a bunch of shit all the time. I think he's one of the funniest people on earth. So I think Gervais is a good choice. I like Ricky Gervais, too. So by my count, we had three people drafted that said the N-word um, <laughs> publicly. Uh, looks like we had two brands. Um, we had one, uh, two, three, about four athletes, and then uh, several entertainers as well. So to recap, here's Bo's team. Hillary Clinton, Dr. Fauci, 
Bud Light, Target, To Kill a Mockingbird, and LeBron. My team is Abraham Lincoln, Andy Reid, Kyle Larson, Dave Portnoy, Dr. Seuss, and Bill Maher. Tom's team is Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan, Lil Nas X, Morgan Wallen, Mike Vick, and Ricky Gervais. Bo, I'll start with you. What's your reaction to the draft and the the teams? Well, once again, I win. I mean, that's just – I'm doing my Tony Kornheiser. I win. I win again. So, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think that this was – I think this is one of the better drafts. Um, I agree with some. Don't agree with a couple of others. But I I think generally we kind of had a feel for it's a a good way of mocking cancel culture and the idea of cancel culture. Dom, uh, what were some of your favorite picks this draft? Uh, the Bud Light's got to be probably my favorite non-me pick. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that because I I should have thought of that one. It's like, oh, that was that's a that was perfect. Uh, Jones, on your end, you you sniped me on one, but Dave Portnoy was a great one. Uh, you know, I I know Bo doesn't like him. I'm actually a, a big fan. Uh, of Dave Portnoy and uh, just his general story in general on how Barstool came to be. But I think that's pretty cool. Either if, whether you love him or hate him, uh, how he came to be is pretty cool, even though he could probably be, I'm sure he can be an ass most times, but um, I'm feeling good about my Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle. Those are my, my top two players. And uh, you know, Mike Vick coming in to at least have an admirable human being, uh, at the end of the day, uh, to to round out my my heathens, um, the best of the rest. So, depending on how this draft was going to go, I, I had I had a couple different strategies. One, <laughs> I was thinking about doing just a team that was all despite bowl. Um, <laughs> here, here's I'm surprised, frankly, it's not what you did. I thought about it, but I didn't. Here was the spite bowl potential picks. Oh, God. Um, of the undrafted free agents, as we call them. Um, this guy, the most successful cable news host of all time. I knew it. I told Bill you. O'Reilly. You told me, yep. Oh, no. No, I didn't say Bill O'Reilly, but I was close. Oh, <laughs> no. We had you dead to rights the way you were going to take Tucker Carlson. Oh, well, Bill O'Reilly, uh, you know, was about the same thing. So, I didn't have Tucker, actually, on this list. Um oh. Another one was uh, Roseanne. Yep. <laughs> she was recently canceled again. Again? On Theo Vaughn's podcast. They took it down. She got more backlash for saying some shit. <laughs> um, others uh, along the same lines of the people Bo probably hates. Megan Kelly. Um, if they're on Fox News, I pretty much hate them. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think Roseanne's on Fox now, too. Um that wouldn't surprise me. Another one, this was kind of outside the box. He would have been like at the very end of the draft if I would have been searching for a name that wasn't available. Uh, Chris Harrison, the former host of The Bachelor. Mm. That was an unfortunate situation. I thought he got screwed. Um, another one that I had on my undrafted free agents list, uh, J.K. Rowling, the uh, Harry yeah. Potter author. Every- Every time she says something, like everybody, the knives are out for J.K. Rowling. Um, so those were those were some of my undrafted free agents um, on, on my list. And other most recently, and, and 
And, and Bo and I uh, talked about this guy a little while ago, Pat Fitzgerald as well on the list. Uh, maybe even Bob Huggins uh, could have been on there as well. Uh, yeah. Bo, who, who are some of the uh, the undrafted free agents? Who, who so was people that, I thought you were going to go full on Tucker Carlson, um, um, Alex Jones. Glenn Beck. I, I figured Glenn Beck. I figured Kevin Keatsman. I figured you were going there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I figured you were going with those. That was like, that's what I can see Jones doing. I just left it with Dave Portnoy. Yeah. And, and there's a thing with Portnoy, you know, you mentioned earlier, I think Tom mentioned earlier about this, how he built Barstool. There, there's a lot of coolness to that, what he did. I just don't like the guys. There's a lot of stories about what he, how he treats people. There's yeah. a lot of stories about how well he's treated people too. Right. So there are, there is good and bad to people. I'm just not a fan. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's why I didn't mention, you know, things like that. Those, those again, those aren't culture cancel culture. That's just I don't fucking like it. Right. <laughs> yeah, but like the unrestricted free agents. Oh, a couple of them I had. I'll give you my couple of people on my list. Colin Kaepernick. Oh, yep. Ooh. Brittany Griner. That's good. Um, one. I was gonna go all books at one point. Um, how about Al Franken? Yeah. That's another good one. Yeah. Uh transgender people. No comment. I, you can see where I was going. I mean, I'm I was here to defend some people. So um yeah, that was uh that was kind of my undrafted free agency. I think the, the first one the undrafted free agents for me was gonna be Brittany Grant. And uh Tom, he, he didn't have any undrafted free agents, but uh well, I, I did actually now that I was thinking about it, but not not anyone that they would have played in summer league, but they wouldn't have made the roster. Okay. Like uh like Ja Morant recently. Yeah, that's a good one. Ja Morant. Uh you could throw in you could throw Elon in there. Um who's oh, here's the one. He he didn't and and ma'am, I'm going nah, you know what? I'm not going to hell. And if I do go to hell, he'll be there. Um he he didn't live long enough, I don't feel like, to get canceled or maybe didn't just draw enough attention like Alex Jones does. Rush Limbaugh. Rest in shit, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, he, he was canceled along. It should have. He should have never. That had could that have fight. easily been Tyler's Stalin pick this week. Yeah, me and me and Bo Jones before I could have gone Donald Trump. It. You know, if we were going that route, we we were uh, we were talking before the show, me and Bo, and we were like, I told Bo, I was like, I got five dollars on Jones picking Tucker. <laughs> like, <you Yeah>. know. <laughs> We we both thought you were going to go Tucker Carlson for so sure. So who owes the other one five bucks? No, nobody really. No one. I wouldn't take the bet. I I was I was sure you were going to as well. Oh, I was God. like, and then you said cable. I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> I was like, there it is. And then you went, fuck it, we'll do it live. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right, the script. We'll do it live. Oh uh, yes. Uh, along those same lines, like you could have gone uh, of TV people, Charlie Rose. Um, Matt Lauer. <laughs> oh God! I mean, yeah. There's, uh, Tom. You could have gone with Marshall Falk. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't disrespect him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, who else? John Gruden. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Brown. Yeah, I don't know. If he, yeah, he kind of got canceled a little bit. Yeah. 
Um, there are he, consequences to actions, folks. He throws. Uh, who was the who was the wide receiver that played for the Falcons? The guy can't well. Calvin Ridley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Again, that's a suspension. That's you didn't do your job or you didn't do something correct. You know the rules and the consequences. Oh, um, you know what's funny too? Because I still have his. I've had this bracelet on since like ninth, tenth grade. Uh, Lance Armstrong. That would have been a great pick. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody really ever says anything about the Live Strong bracelet. I've had it on so long, I can't take it off now. And I, I think, think if I, I was said to something die, about it, I'm like, "What the hell's with the Live Strong bracelet?" Uh, it's it's been, I you know, never see him anymore either. And well, there's you know, a reason for that. Hey, listen, I'm all for testicular cancer awareness. <laughs> I check my balls every night. Imagine if Tom would have stopped at awareness. I'm all for testicular cancer. Yeah, I thought this was where he was going to go. But now, Tyler, that would have been a choice of yours. Yeah. <laughs> strong. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Very good draft. I loved this draft. This is one of my favorites. Maybe the best one we've done so far uh, here on the Jones Report. Uh, Bo, appreciate the time as always. Tom's going to stick around as uh, we'll finish up with Tom Fullery coming up next. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fulgery story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we go to this time? Johns, we are going to um, we're going to go to the land of uh, maple syrup. We're going to Canada. We are specifically going to Toronto. Oh, this... Canada! <laughs> this I'll be honest. From... I like their national anthem better than ours. Oh wow! Just a week after the Fourth of July. <laughs> he's just gonna be just oh and patriotic there. Uh, I don't think it has a bad tune. I like ours better. But CBC News, that's a Tom Fuller in itself. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe you should have been on the canceled culture draft. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. oh gosh, CBC News, like I said, Toronto. Jones, this is crazy to me. I have had one job that had a bar in it. You currently work somewhere where there's alcohol any time of the day. Right. Um, and I had fun at the job where there was a full bar. I mean, full full bar, liquor and all, beer fridge out of the wazoo. I mean, they had they had more beers on in the fridge than a liquor store. It was great um, for the time being. But um, Jones... This is a police station we're going to talk about. Toronto police closing the bar at the headquarters. A bar at a police station. Decision comes after officer entered. They call it, I love how they call it, entered lounge. No, he entered the bar hours before being charged with impaired driving. They call it, there's a little photo of it. It says the executive officer's lounge was first issued a liquor license at the 40 College Street headquarters in 1989 according to the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, otherwise known as AGCO. A licensed, fully stocked bar inside a lounge for senior officers at the Toronto Police Services headquarters is being closed, police confirmed to CBC Toronto on Sunday. The decision comes after CBC Toronto reported an officer entered the lounge hours before being charged with impaired driving. The Chief's Office and Executive Officers Lounge Committee, they even had a committee, for this bar 
notified senior officers in May that the bar's liquor license would not be renewed. Police have not linked the closure to CBC's reporting or the impaired driving charges brought against Superintendent Riaz Hussein. The executive officer's lounge was first issued a liquor license, like I said previously, back in 1989. Moving forward, the service will apply for special occasions permit from the AGCO should we decide to host an event where alcohol may be served, the spokesperson said. A special occasions permit is required anytime liquor is offered for sale somewhere other than a licensed establishment. In April, a CBC Toronto investigation reported Superintendent Reyes Hussein entered the lounge about three hours before he crashed his service-issued SUV into another vehicle in Pickering, Ontario, and was charged with impaired driving in January 2022. It's unclear how long Hussein was in the executive officer's lounge and whether or not he drank in the room. Hussein, who headed the police's services disciplinary tribunal, pleaded guilty in October 2022 to driving with a BAC, or blood alcohol content level, over 80 milligrams per 100 milliliters of blood. See, those are the those are the maple syrup units there <laughs> um, of blood. That doesn't tell me anything. I'm going to guess that's a point a little over the legal limit, I'm going to guess, or maybe just under and so, because it was impaired driving and not a DUI, I guess. I don't know. He was sentenced to one-year driving prohibition and fined. This is a weird fine amount. This is Canada shit for you. He was fined fifteen hundred and sixty dollars. Fifteen sixty. Why not make it just sixteen hundred at that point? Right. Police said the alcohol license was used infrequently. I call bullshit. Um, largely for formal functions like retirements or when hosting dignitaries. I call BS. Um, the Toronto Police Association supports the decision. John Reed, its president, said in an email statement. It's always been our strong desire that command and senior officers lead by example in both their actions and accountability. The civilian body that oversees the police force was not involved in the decision. Uh, Toronto Police Services Board Chair Ann Morgan said in an email statement to CBC News on Sunday. John Sewell, coordinator of the Toronto Police Accountability Coalition, an advocacy group that's dedicated to making police more accountable to the public, said it's about time police close down their bar. It's crazy that they even ever had it, but I'm good. I'm glad they're getting rid of it, Sewell said. It's entirely inappropriate. If the officers want to drink, there's a lot of bars around the police headquarters. He added that if police want to hold a special event at headquarters, it should be booze-free. If they want it to include alcohol, it should happen somewhere else. Um, this person, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this name who is chair of the Toronto Police Services Board from 05 to 2015, supports the closing of the bar. He said, in his 10 years of being in that room for various events, there are a few occasions where the bar was used. I have no way of knowing if there were other occasions when the organization that had control over them that may have used the bar for, you know, relaxing or informal gatherings or things like that. Jones, crazy that a police off police station had a bar in it. That's crazy to me. Of all places, that's like um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. That's like uh, that's like the you know it's like if you went to your cardiologist or um, you know I don't know whatever a lung specialist is called. I'm not sure respiratory therapist or respiratory doctor. If you went to their office and they had a cigar lounge in there, you know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like um, it's like walking into the dentist and they got a fucking candy store on site. 
<laughs> you know, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, it's um, uh, it's like having a fucking strip club at a daycare center. I you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know how that that you know what this sounds like to me. And obviously, we get a bunch of stuff in America for the cops here. Um, and especially being in the South, I like to use a term called the good old boys club. That's what that sounded like. It sounded like they had a good old boys club. You know, well, we just took old Billy downtown for DUI. And now we're going to go after we booked him down there. Now, well, before we get back out there, you want to have a drink real quick? Go into the, you go into the bar and just chat it up. I mean, who's, who's even bartending that? You know, who's the, is it open like a normal bar or is it just a room full of liquor? Is that's, that's what I need to know. I'm, I'm, I've heard crazier things, but I would maybe on the, on one side, I bet it's just maybe a, uh, like a convention hall or a big meeting room that just so happens to have a fully stocked bar, but maybe it's more like they said, it's a lounge that they uh, as taxpayer money paying that bartender to be in there for the police officers. I hope so. You know? I mean, I'm thinking that's probably what it is. I mean, so they would have it, to they would have to pay a bartender to run it, or can you just just pour your own? Right. Yeah, that's that's a great question. So now, like, I, I got to think you got to go back there, right, for one last hoorah. Like, you got to go out with a bang, right? Yeah, you got to shut her down. You know, you got to. You know, you got to drink that bar dry. What are they doing with the rest of the liquor in there? Giving it away? You know, anytime that I'm like, well, Tom, you should probably stop drinking for a little bit. The first thing that comes to my mind is, all right, if I'm going to stop drinking for a little bit, I better just finish any and all liquor and beer in the house immediately. Yes. And then that's what I do. And then it holds up for about four or five days of no drinking and then the weekend hits and then I'm back to the liquor store buying another bottle. Um. But yeah, they gotta. You gotta drink that some bitch dry. I 100%. mean, what? Is, or you know, you know, let the good attendees of the jail or whoever's in jail let the trustees finish it off or something. Now, I wonder, you know, the the officers if they're drinking before they get home, does the does does the tax was the taxpayer paying for the Uber too? No, come on now. I mean, the taxpayer's not paying for the Uber. I mean, any, I would say, and maybe any cops out there, feel free to message me if I'm wrong, but I would say the, I would say on any given night, if there are a hundred people in town and let's say 10 of them are driving drunk in the town, I'm going to say one of those is a cop. Huh. <laughs> 10%, 10%, I'm going to say are, have to do what they are there the judge a fucking district attorney um some sort of bailiff at the at the yeah yeah you know even even the bailiff at the courtroom or even a a a jailer you know that works a person just works at the jail i'm gonna say you group those all in together if 10 people are driving drunk in a town the size of 100 people just sample size wise one of those people is going to be have a job that somewhat has to do with law enforcement. I mean, you hear about cops and people all the time. Well, actually you don't because it's the good old boys club. And if I'm a cop, 
and you're a cop and I'm on duty and just so happens Tyler Jones is driving a little over the center line or swerving or didn't use his blinker and it's two in the morning and he just pulled out of the fucking Taco Bell um, and I pull you over. It's the good old boys club. I mean, ethically, is that wrong? Yeah, 100 percent. But there's a lot of things that I am uh, ethically conscious on and I can guarantee you that majority of cops are not if if like i said if i'm a cop and you're a cop and i catch you driving drunk and i'm on duty probably not taking you to jail i'm probably following you home and sweeping the shit under the rug and say let's not tell anybody about this um i don't i don't know does that make me a bad person would i do it yeah absolutely absolutely i would look out for a friend but you know they take the next joe blow off the street and search his vehicle for you know and strip it down and take a guy to jail for two beers you know listen to listen you said um, you said the the canadian national anthem was better than america's and i'm over here hating on cops i think we're uh i think we're definitely i think we're canceled <laughs> i think we're fucking canceled dude i think we're canceled but i mean really though if you were if you were a cop and you had a buddy that was a cop and you pull his car over for suspicion of DUI, and it turns out to be, <laughs> it turns out to be fucking Jose behind the wheel. Are you taking Jose to jail? Right. Well, and and what about? I always hear like the the sports analogy, right? Like Tom, as a Spurs fan, if you were a cop, you're not taking Wimby to jail, are you? Hell no. Yeah. Am I gonna? Am I putting Greg Popovich in handcuffs? Absolutely not. I'm I doing mean, a hush. I'm and, doing and a Wimby's hush. Wimby's under hush. 21 too, so like he'd be really screwed. Yeah, there's no way you would be hated. You would be hated. That you know, yeah. If I'm a cop in Stillwater and I pull over Mike Gundy, um, you know, if he was, I don't know, it depends. If I pulled over Mike Gundy and he was a bitch, um, then I might just say, you know what, I'm taking you to jail, but. If he was just a little buzzed or whatever, I'd be like, listen here, bud. We're going to need a couple of club seats this season from you. Um, won't tell a soul, you know. I, is that abuse of power? Absolutely. Do I sometimes bitch about abuse the, of power? Here's the yeah. reality, Tom. Here's the reality. People don't like to admit this, but it's the truth. It's a fact. There are different laws for different people. I mean... And we try to act like equal justice for all and, and all that. And it sounds great in theory, but when it comes to reality, that's just not the case. That's just not the truth. I mean, even Bob Huggins, who we talked about earlier, Tom, like you talk about the extent for Bob Huggins to get that DUI. He was out of state. He blew a, like 2.4, whatever it was. And he thought he was in Ohio. The cop, even if he was in Morgantown, basically had no choice there. I mean, there's, and yeah, he was probably doing that more than what he when he finally got caught at that point. Like, I oh, mean, people who people who get a DUI, it's never someone's first time driving drunk. No, no. So I mean, that's just the that's just the facts. Like, there's, you know, people don't like to admit it, but it's true. There's different laws for depending on your status as a person. I mean, yeah. How many how many times did Bob Huggins get pulled over for DUI in Morgantown and then was let go? I guarantee you, it's that number's more than one. 
right? I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, they say, you know, that, you know, I'm not, or I wouldn't say I'm super anti-cop, but I'm definitely not pro-cop. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, no one's above the law. They, that, that's a phrase. That's a buzzword or buzz phrase that people love to use. But that's absolutely wrong. And it, it shouldn't be this way, but there's absolutely people above the wall. I mean, you look at old Donald Trump grabbing by the pussy. Um, you know, he could, what do you say? He could shoot somebody in the, in the middle of On Fifth uh, Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nothing would happen. I mean, is he, is he wrong? No, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, people get away with shit all the time. Money talks, status talks. You know, I, what was it about a year ago, maybe last summer, I was at my cousin's house in Dewey, Oklahoma. And cops in Dewey are known for not having anything better to do. And I did a nice little California stop and roll and didn't fully stop the stop sign. And as soon as I saw the cop, I was like, damn, he got me. Cause I just kind of breezed on through. It was a neighborhood with no traffic. Barely anybody lives around there. Saw me, lit me up. Dude comes to the window. It's a family friend that we didn't know was even a Dewey cop. And he's like, wait a second. I was like, Robbie, what are you doing? I didn't know you were a cop. He's like, what are you doing in Dewey? I thought you lived in Tulsa. And I was like, I do, but I had to go down here visiting family. And he was like, wow. He was like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, stop the stop sign that time. And just went back to his car. If I would have been anybody else, a Dewey cop's probably write me a, a three-digit ticket for running the stop sign. Right. That's how it happened. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And uh, in this case, you know, they had the good old boys club at the police station. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't blame them for liking to drink a beer after work. You know, I'm that's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but damn, at work, you know, like at the police station, like, come on. Yeah. How do you think that was going to go? You know, I mean, you're right. How did it not are like the guy said, how was this already a thing? Like how many other police stations have bars in them? Like what? Right. I, like, mean, I know like cops like to hang out at bars because I see them all the time leaving karaoke, waiting for the drunks to leave. But man, so, just to put those two things at the same location. How about this? What, one more thing. We'll end on this, Tom. Think about this. So I know the cops are you know, not greatly paid to begin with, but you talk about the benefits of what they get, you know, besides, you know, health insurance, all, all that type of stuff. Like these cops, Tom, they pretty much get to eat and drink coffee for free anywhere they go. They get discounts all over the place. And then on top of that, too, these cops were drinking for free at work. Like, granted, yes, I know cops are, you know, aren't paid great and they do a risky job. All that is taken into account here. But like, that's that's a good life here. Right, right, and then you, you know, you. I mean, name the last cop that you can think of that probably got a speeding ticket in their own jurisdiction. Nobody, nobody. You yeah. nobody exactly. I mean, you you're off scot free, and which is funny because when I worked at Quick Trip, it was always kind of a hush hush shake shake deal that uh, the Bartlesville cops never gave any any traffic tickets to uh, Quick Trip employees. 
And they got all, all the donuts and big cues they ever wanted. Oh, yeah. And, you know, technically, it's a it's kind of a side deal, but uh, you're not legal or, I guess, by quick trip bylaws, legally obligated to give them a drink for free. And they oh. told us that. So, yeah, they don't have to give you a free. I mean, it's kind of like, so if I if I was to get a ticket by, you know, Officer Smith and he comes in the next morning and I'm working and he wanted to, you know, walk out with a drink inside, I would probably double down and be like, sir, uh, I'm going to have to pay for that. Tell me this real quick. So when you were working at QT and dealing with cops like that, did they just walk out the door or did they like wave? Like, how did that get communicated? I mean, it's always kind of like the gentlemanly kind of like head nod. Like they see you, you know, they acknowledge you with a drink in their hand, like gotcha. And then you, you know, kind of gave them the head nod down. Like you're uh, good. Kind of okay. like one of those kind of just like, they didn't just like not acknowledge anybody and to walk out with a drink. They kind of always were like, how's it going? And then you kind of like back, like, what's up? And that's how the Quick Trip employees know all the cops. There was a couple times I got pulled over when I was working at Quick Trip in Bartlesville. And they were like, wait a second, don't you work at the QT by Dungeons? And I was like, yeah. He was like, he's like, uh, slow down next time. Or he's like, one time I had a taillight barely cracked. It was a, one of those things. He was pulling a car over to see what else was going on. Yeah. And, uh, when my aunt worked at Quick Trip, she intentionally had a Quick Trip sticker uh, on the back of her car and kept her name badge in the car at all times. Yeah. Um, you, I guarantee you survey a hundred quick trip employees about it. that work at the stores. 99% of them are the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, that'll do it for uh, the Jones sport this week. Big thanks to uh, Ryan Fowler, coach Bo, uh, Tom, of course, you, the listener as well. Uh, subscribe to show new episodes out each and every week. Except next week, we're on summer break next week. So pretty much every week, summer break next week. But nonetheless, uh, while we're off next week, listen, you can listen back to this show or any prior episode on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Check us out on social media, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter, Tyler Jones Live, Thomas underscore Bridges, Studio underscore Soapbox. Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas, you can find us there. I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks for joining us uh, for 12 years and counting here on the Jones Report. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you in a couple weeks here on the Jones Report. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us. So long, everybody.